CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It is Tuesday, June 18th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Illinois State Rep Rob Bartwick will join us. It's Kristen Kaza of the Chicago Reader. And we welcome to our new studio, Jerry Brown and Tom Shepard, the Southside Political Know-It-Alls. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling it Got Scoop Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. Do you have a good weekend, D? Yes, I did. <laughs> it was great. Great weekend. Uh, yeah, Weekend's great, over. Uh, it's, yeah. Well, I had a great weekend. I saw the movie A Late Night, which I recommend to all. Run, don't walk. Go see it. Very funny. Mindy Kaling. Shout out to Mindy Kaling. Hey, Mindy. All right. She can really write a good script. I was up late reading A Band of Brothers by Stephen Ambrose. Great book. It's a read, don't sleep book. Get it? Walk, don't run. Read, don't sleep. Because I'm up late reading it. All right. <laughs> Uh, got a million of them, D. Yeah, that's good. And, and thank you. And then I woke up today, and what did I discover? I got scooped. Not once, but twice. How about that, D? Scoop. You know what scoop means? Scoop means in journalism that someone beat you to the story that you should have had first. In this case, trashing Lori Lightfoot. Now, I'm very proud of the fact, D, that I think I was the first writer in the city of Chicago to trash Mayor Rahm, all right? <laughs> I was number one out of the gate trashing Mayor Rahm. But I'm not number one out of the gate anymore. I was scooped by Fran Spielman of the Sun-Times and Christian McQuarrie of the Tribune. Two reporters scooped me, D. And one of them a Tribune writer. Oh, no. Scooped by the Tribunal. The shame. The shame. Anyway, both Christian McQuarrie of the Chicago Tribune and Fran Spielman of the Chicago Sun-Times criticized Lori Lightfoot for being going all Hollywood on us. Hold on, D. What are you doing? Hold on. What's this? Hold on. Hold okay, on. He's grabbing his bag. Yeah. yeah. It's a play-by-play here. Takes oh, a pair of sunglasses out of his bag and puts his headphones back on. Oh, how do you do it? Oh, oh God. <laughs> there we go. She went all Hollywood, like me with these sunglasses. <laughs> Lori went Hollywood. Mm. Yeah, she went Hollywood. What did she do? Well, she literally went to Hollywood for a fundraiser, but then this weekend she flew to New York. And she appeared on the Steve Colbert show. Now, it's big news when a mayor from the city of Chicago goes to New York, appears on the Steve Colbert show or any national TV show, D, and the Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, had it well covered, okay? You see that paper downloaders? (laughs) All right. Everybody see that? Lynn Sweet, 
They they took Lynn Sweet out of Washington. She's usually in Washington. They moved her. They sent her to New York for the day to hang out with Steve Colbert and watch Lori Lightfoot. All right, lucky her. Yeah, I know. Lucky. I wish I got that assignment. And here's what she wrote. <clears throat> I was in the audience for the taping, but as a condition for letting me in, I had to agree not to reveal any direct content ahead of the Thursday evening telecast on CBS. Man, they were tough bargains at the Steve Colbert show. What would have happened if she had just like broken the agreement? Well, they never would have jail? let her back. <laughs> jail. That's it. You're going to jail. But I can tell you what I observed during the segment, which runs about six minutes. The audience of about 400 in the Ed Sullivan Theater, where Colbert's tape gave Lightfoot a standing ovation after Colbert introduced her. How about that, D? A standing ovation. They laughed at his jokes and her jokes. Colbert, a Northwestern University graduate and Second City alum, relied on his knowledge from living in Chicago for years to help inform his questions, and the conversations at times took a serious turn. So there you go. Coverage from Lynn Sweet of Lori Lightfoot being on the Steve Colbert show. That's right? pretty positive. Yeah, well, that was... Lynn Sweep. I didn't get scooped by Lynn Sweep. I got scooped by Fran Spielman and Christian McQuarrie, who ripped Lori. (laughs) (laughs) Not sweet. That's good. Rip Lori for going to New York. Now, there's generally two schools of thoughts uh, when it comes to mayors going to New York City. On one hand, uh, we have like the second city syndrome where we're just bursting with pride. You know, I must be important if the mayor that I elected or voted for is on the Steve Colbert show. That's a typical Chicagoan. I'm so happy. It's like Stevie Wonder in that song, Living for the City. New York City, just like I pictured it. Skyscrapers and everything. That's kind of... But you do know that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's a good imitation, don't you think? No. Oh. <laughs> anyway, that's on the other hand. one hand. On the other hand, we're like kind of insulted. Like, oh, look who thinks she's better than us going to New York City and hanging out with Stephen Colbert. What? It's not good enough to hang around in Chicago? Are you going all Hollywood on us? <laughs> Like, you live streamers get one hell of a show. Downloaders, you're missing out. You're missing out, downloaders. You don't get to see me in my sunglasses going all Hollywood. Anyway, that's kind of the attitude. It's pretty much summed up. Brilliant sentence by France Spam. I got to give her a lot of credit right here in the Sun Times. Wish I wrote this sentence. She's comparing Lori Lightfoot uh, to Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel's nonstop travel, fundraising, and celebrity schmoozing, often on a Hollywood scene, dominated by his super agent brother, was one of the biggest pet peeves about his eight-year tenure. What former Mayor Richard M. Daley knew in his soul, but Emanuel never took to heart, is that Chicagoans believe the sun rises and sets in Chicago. They want their mayors to stay home and focus on local problems. Focus, Lori, focus on local problems. So anyway, D. Am I going to join the criticism? Hmm? Hmm? Am I going to join the criticism? I'm wondering. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to hold back for the moment for two reasons. One, I have a general rule. Uh, I wait. Number one. (laughs) You generally wait, sir. I generally wait, you know, for like, I give him a honeymoon before I start ripping him. Right now, I gave Rob three months. Before I started ripping him, all right? So what's it? Is it a month yet with Lori? Well, that Lincoln Yards thing came out, right? You were kind of... Oh, God. I think I... <laughs> You're right. I just broke my own rule. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did break. I criticized her for uh, greenlighting a multi-billion dollar TIFF deal. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of easy on her when it comes to being on the Steve Colbert show. But the second reason, do you know why? Number two. I'm drinking that Lori oh, Lightfoot Jesus. Kool-Aid. Hold on, guys. 
That Lori Lightfoot Kool-Aid is delicious, man. Hey, if she wants to go on the Stephen Colbert show, come on, guys. Let her go on the Stephen Colbert show. But that Lincoln Yards deal. <laughs> oh, no. I forgot about it. I'm watching you. What, what, isn't it Robert De Niro? I am watching you. Yeah, Remember that? Yeah, I yeah. am watching you. I am watching you. Anyway, <laughs> that's my thoughts on that. And we got a great show today, everybody. Rob Markwick will be here, state representative from the Northwest Side, maybe soon to be state senator. Ooh. At 2 o'clock, uh, Kristen Kaiser's coming in. She's going to be talking about the block party, the reader block party. And then get ready, Chicago. The South Side political know-it-alls will be here right in this studio. Jerry Brown and Tom Shepard, get your pens and papers out. We're going to the South Side, South Side politics, D. All right? You are pumped. I'm pumped up for the South Side political. They know everything about South I might give uh, Jerry Brown a little trivia contest about South Side Alderman, see if he can handle it. Oh, there's something new. Ben Drowski <laughs> giving guest trivia questions. Get ready, Jerry Brown. Whoa. Don't duck. Don't dodge. South Side political know-it-alls will be tested on the Ben Drowski show. So we got a great show today. A lot of political talk. You know, Markwick can talk some serious politics, D. I'm going to ask Rob Markwick what he thinks about Lori Lightfoot going to New York City. Actually, Rob's really trying to be nice to Lori Lightfoot these days. Lori, start being nicer to Rob Markwick, okay? He's a good guy. Don't hold a grudge forever and ever. We'll talk about that later. Anyway. And he did kind of help you get elected. He take kind of out of that sentence. He did help you get elected. So stop being so mean to Rob Markwick, all right, Lori Lightfoot? Anyway, we got a great show today, and I can't wait to get started. But before we do... The doctor has the news. Not a doctor. How's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. It's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Actually, before we do that, shout out to the millennial Kyle. He is on the Facebook video Kyle. live stream. Oh, oh Kyle. Oh, that's, that's you, Kyle. The Mueller report bit. That's all because of you. I love the Mueller report, by the way. You can look at any page in the Mueller report and see what sleazy stuff your president of the United States is doing. Kyle says, my favorite things about going Hollywood in Ben's mind are wearing sunglasses and going to New York City. <laughs> I know, Kyle. Huh? It's the wrong... Wait, hold on, Kyle. Huh? All right. Hollywood. There are people Hollywood. who download this Sweet. show. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see you do all this. Hollywood. Okay. Tonight, Hollywood swing. Today, tonight, President Donald J. Trump is kicking off his re-election campaign. You hear that, Ben? The calm before the storm. <laughs> oh, my God. Tonight's Trump rally will be taking place mm. in Orlando, Florida. So, yes, it wow. does look like the NASCAR championship is happening in Orlando at the moment. Thousands of Trump supporters are gathered in support of the Donald in 2020. <laughs> Some of them have been camped outside since Monday morning. You're kidding. No. Somebody no. camped out to see Donald Trump. Yeah, it's like He's like Van Halen now. Uh, <laughs> Trump tweeted People Monday. camp out to see Van Halen? Uh, Van Halen with David Lee Roth. I don't know about Hagar, but. Uh, Trump tweeted Monday that there there had been more than 100,000 requests for tickets and that large screens and food trucks will be on hand for those who can't get inside. That's nice. Oh, that's really nice of him. Monday night, Trump made sure to fire up his base beforehand by, of course, going to Twitter and... Yep, it's election season. He stated that he's ready to begin deporting, quote, millions of illegal aliens from the U.S. He said that next week, ICE will begin the process of removing the millions of illegal aliens who have uh, illicitly found their way into the United States. They will be removed as fast as they come in. Ben Jarofsky, was uh, was that a, a threat from our president? That was a threat from our president. You know, we're gonna, Rob Markwick is judge. We're going to bring him in for the general conversation. But uh, Donald Trump was doubling down on this strategy of 
of trying to scare uh, his base into staying loyal to him by being even nastier and meaner uh, to immigrants, most of whom who are no problem whatsoever to anybody roughly resembling someone in Donald Trump's base. I never understand this, why people in North Dakota or South Dakota, uh, Rob Markwick, which is this enormous, two enormous vacant states, which could use people living them, would be upset about immigrants coming into this country across the border of the southern border. I do not understand this. Perhaps you can help me out on this one, Rob Martwick. I can't help you out on that one at all, Ben. I'm as confused as you are. I'm like, I love how you look at me like you must have the answers, Rob. Ben, I got a lot of answers on that one. I'm befuddled as you are. I mean, really, like, what? is that what is the plan and and i get it i mean you always play to your base and unfortunately 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 and i mean this for our country what donald trump has done in terms of developing his base is about ripping through the fabric of what made america america and and it's 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 terrible and i guess that he's going to double down on that strategy but as you said why do people in North Dakota care about immigration? I, for the life of me, I don't know. But he's been able to he's been able to get him to care about. He's it. been able to get him to care. So he's like I said, he's doubling down on this one with these threats. And meanwhile, he's rattling the sabers. Uh, D. I don't know if this is part of your update. Am I just getting ahead of your update? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, with Iran, he's threatening oh, no. war with Iran, and uh, you know, having ripped up the the peace treaty, or excuse me, the uh, nuclear treaty that the Obama had negotiated with uh, Iran. He's now uh, uh, rattling the sabers, as they say. So all of this, I suppose it's no coincidence, talking war with Iran, uh, threatening to kick uh, immigrants out of this country and send them back wherever they came from. Uh, I guess this is what uh, his campaign is going to be all about. Ben, don't you, wasn't, doesn't it make you long for the days when uh, sitting elected officials would round up their base by going around to some r- ribbon cuttings and marching in parades? Yeah. Holy moly. I know. I know. It's uh, it's a different country, politically speaking. So anyway. And meanwhile, a handful of folks looking to stop the nonsense in a year or so have responded to the president's tweets with their own tweets. Yes, it's time for a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate update. First up, it's candidate and New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. Ben, I don't recall. What are your thoughts? De Blasio. Well, actually, you know, I gotta re, uh, I'm rethinking my thoughts on Bill de Blasio. There was a very good column about this in the New York Times today. Urge everyone to read it by Michelle Goldberg. Stop sneering at de Blasio. Uh, and I'm uh, well. Let me you finish what you were saying, and then I'll All riff right. on de Blasio. Live stream chatters. I'm sure they'll love that. Ben warming up to Bill de Blasio. That'll be great. Hey, I love it, the Biden stuff, too, you know? Uh, I'm warming. I'm not saying I'm going to vote for Bill de Blasio. <laughs> I have my issues with Bill de Blasio. But you know me, D, when everybody starts jumping aboard one bandwagon, I go the other way, okay? Everybody goes this way. I tend to go that way. So everybody's ripping Lori Lightfoot today by going to New York City. Ah, drinking that Lori Kool-Aid. Oh, Hold yeah, get a sip real quick. Yeah, there you go. Mm. There we go. That. Oh, live stream, live stream loves that, too. All right, de Blasio said, quote, uh, so at real Donald Trump, who will be left to do all of that, quote, side work at your country club? Who? Bill de, de Blasio. De, oh, he's ripping him. All right. Now, is that the Bill de Blasio update? That's still Bill de Blasio. All right. My issue with Bill de Blasio has to do with the fact that he was so uh, eager, so thirsty to welcome Amazon to New York City and give them a whole bunch of money that they didn't need. Uh, and he was tag teaming with Cuomo, Governor Cuomo of New York. So that's where I uh, split from him. But uh, the bashing of de Blasio that goes on in this country, I want to share you this quote from, let's see, do I have it right here? 
uh, where's that great quote? I can't find it at the moment. But the bashing of, of de Blasio, where he's sort of like this geek, everybody's making fun of him. Uh, I just think it's kind of unwarranted. My problem with Bill de Blasio is that he left his progressive uh, roots when he tried to woo Amazon uh, to New York City by offering them billions of dollars they didn't deserve. So I'm not going to... Look, they didn't get Amazon. Amazon decided not to go there, thanks to Alexander Ocasio-Cortez leading the rebellion. So... I'm going to let up on de Blasio for a little bit. Washington State Governor and Climate Action Champion Jay Inslee tweeted, and I think he nailed it here. He said, Donald Trump kicks off his re-election campaign just like he launched his first run with a racist attack on immigrants meant to divide us. Yeah, absolutely. Nailed that it. sums it all up. Mm-hmm. And Steve Bullock, the Democratic Governor of Montana, tweeted, we will not let him use cruel threats to divide us. Yeah, well, that's pretty gutsy for the guy from Montana because Trump took Montana. Right. So standing up to Trump from someone in Montana is a little different than standing up to Trump from someone say Illinois or California or state of Washington. So, And finally, Joe Biden, no response to report here. This update is about uh, the other thing Joe Biden loves to do, raise funds. Yeah, Boy, he's, he's been pretty fundraising yeah, like yeah. crazy lately. Our Democratic 2020 frontrunner Joe Biden held a fundraiser in New York City last night. He's doing three more today. Biden suggested that his presidential campaign has taken in close to $20 million mm. already. The Washington Post writes this morning, offering a glimpse of his fundraising prowess in the early stages of the crowded Democratic primary. Biden says he's raised money from 360,000 donors with an average uh, contribution of $55. Last night's event was at the Upper East Side home of one Jim Chanos, or Chanos, not sure, president and founder of Canicos Associates, a prominent short-selling investment firm. Uh, and it says here, uh, Warren, Elizabeth Warren weighed in to rip him. She ripped little, Joe Biden, yeah, not yeah. Trump. Okay. She sent out an email and threw out a little jab in response to Biden's fundraiser saying, quote, I don't spend time at fancy fundraisers. Instead, I spend my time meeting voters and thanking grassroots donors who chip in what they can. Donate $3 to my campaign, and you might just get a call from me to say thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah we're heading into uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, 2016 country with this stuff. And uh, listen, I, I don't blame the base, the Democratic Party base, uh, for being irritated when they see Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg or who's the other one that goes to New York a lot uh, to raise money uh, raising money from the, the the centrists if you will the billionaires of Wall Street the millionaires of Wall Street because the fear is that if you take the money from Wall Street then you're going to do their bidding when it comes to oversight laws that regulate uh, the economy and regulate banking etc so I don't I don't blame the main the the base of the Democratic Party for being irritated my advice to Joe Biden is like my advice that I always used to give to the uh, the bums who lived in the Bowery, uh, Rob Martwick, when they gave you some whiskey to uh, vote for the man, just go into the polling booth, vote for whoever you want to, and then drink the whiskey. So if they're going to give Joe Biden the money, it doesn't mean he has to do their bidding. That's right. That's my advice. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Don't go anywhere, because coming up after this short little break, we're going to find out what's going on locally. We're going to find out what else is news. It's the Ben Jarowski Show. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. 
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Rod Markwick in the studio with me. We're going to bring him on for the full interview in about ooh, five minutes or so. But he may chip in and say this or that uh, as Dennis takes the deep dive on the local news. Yes, we're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. Ben, Lyle, you good on that uh, Lightfoot Kool-Aid? Oh, yeah, Get a on. refill. Get a hold refill. On, Mayor Lightfoot goes to New York City. <laughs> More on that in a moment. But first, Ben, I know you love her, but we have to at least try to keep her honest all right the following comes from wbez news chicago and one chip mitchell chip mitchell <laughs> what did chip have to say the article is titled candidate lightfoot vowed to release laquan cover-up records mm-hmm. mayor lightfoot is refusing all right here's chip mitchell as a candidate for chicago mayor Lori lightfoot called on the city to release the records from its investigation into how the police department handled officer jason van dyke shooting of teenager laquan mcdonald that investigation was run by joseph ferguson the city's inspector general who has warned that quote the full story about the shooting is still not known for months ferguson has been pushing the city to release the records candidate lightfoot agreed Here's a quote from Lightfoot. It's absolutely critical. She told WBEZ in March that they be fully released in their entirety, including all the attachments and the evidence. Now Lightfoot is mayor and her administration is denying open records requests for the material, citing legal restrictions, but pledging to try and get those restrictions removed. Now here's a part of the written statement from the Lightfoot administration on this. I'll read this and Ben, you just weigh in with your thoughts. The Mm -hmm. quote here, quote, she agrees that documents implicating a matter of significant public policies such as these should be made available in a timely manner and in accordance with the law. The mayor's intention to release them has not wavered. She has directed her team to work as quickly as possible to bring forward changes to the law that can allow for greater transparency on high-profile cases like this one and whenever the public has a right to know. All right, listen, here's my deal. I can drink buckets of Lori Lightfoot Kool-Aid, but I'm not going to uh, paper this one over. I could indul- I can allow her to enjoy going to New York City and uh, hanging out with Stephen Colbert. I don't think that's that bad, but... Uh, this is a very important issue in my mind's eye. Uh, she championed on being a transparent mayor. She trans uh, she can't campaign on doing things differently than Mayor Rahm. So uh, their argument is that a judge is restricting the, them from releasing uh, these documents that talk about uh, what went down with the Laquan McDonald investigation to give insight on what went down in the Laquan McDonald investigation. Then go to court and try to get the, the judge's ruling lifted. You really want to, you should really fight for transparency, in my humble opinion. And I've seen so many mayors do this. As soon as they get in the office, it's a whole different attitude, D. It's like, you know, well, you know, now that the mayor I can't just let people think they can just get me to give stuff out just because they ask. So I would uh, really uh, urge uh, Mayor Lightfoot to fight a little harder to get this stuff out there. All right. So Mayor Lightfoot now in New York City. Uh, Ben, you've been in New York City quite a few times. If you could, please uh, give uh, Lori Lightfoot some references, maybe some restaurants or places she should go. Maybe she's a listener here, you know? Well, first of all, it doesn't seem like she needs any help. I was reading uh, Lynn Sweet. They were hanging out at the coffee shops in uh, Manhattan and stuff. I love Chinatown, man. Whenever I go to New York City, I stay in Chinatown. I love Chinatown. It's shrinking because their New York City's Chinatown is like our Chinatown here in Chicago. Real estate uh, pressures coming in from gentrification or just sort of pricing people out. But uh, Lori Lightfoot, well, I think she's back home anyway, D. So, but too bad you didn't get to go to Chinatown. I love Chinatown. Well, she's going to be meeting with Mayor Bill de Blasio in the midday. So, she, I, oh, so she's still, she's still in New York? I think she's still in New York. Oh, well, there's a bunch of restaurants in Chinatown. Just head on down to Chinatown. 
Hunan Gardens is not bad. All right, so there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on locally, and now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something. The Lori Lightfoot, okay. Steve de Blasio, Steve de Blasio, Steve Colbert, and Bill de Blasio all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Rob Markwick sitting here. We'll bring him on when we return. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. We are back live. With us is Rob Markwick, state uh, representative. I almost said state senator. Boy, I had a Freudian slip. Uh, Rob Markwick, the pride and joy of the Northwest side. And uh, Rob, uh, th- first of all, thank you for coming into the show. Always appreciate it when you come in. I always love being here. And um, uh, I made that Freudian slip because I was reading in, uh, what was it? Politico D was the story in Politico. Yeah, Politico today that there's a vacancy now. Uh, Mulro, John Mulro, the state senator, is moving on to become a judge, and you've sort of thrown your hat in the ring. Just talk about that briefly. The process uh, that that governs that dictates how a vacancy is filled. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, what happens is is that the the moment he resigns, which my understanding will be Friday morning, right ahead of his getting sworn in as a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then there is a clock that starts. So 30 days after his vacancy, we must make an appointment. And so the process is, is that whatever party he came from, then the party leaders, the committeemen from that district will meet and they cast weighted votes. So obviously the portion of votes that lie in their district based off of the last general election. Mm-hmm. And all the candidates will throw the name in the hat and or in, in, into consideration. The committeemen will discuss and debate and they'll start casting votes and hopefully come to some consensus on who the candidate will be. And so there's lots of people who've put their name into consideration, many of them, because they approached me and I said, if you're interested in running for office, you better start telling people you're interested. So throw your name into consideration. And a lot of them, again, they they, they started with me and they said, well, but I'm for you. And I said, you still need to let people know you're interested, so go go through the process. So there'll be a lot of names in consideration. I'm hoping, hoping, uh, feel pretty good. Um, that my seven years and the record that I have in the legislature, I'm I, I hoping that I'll be the front runner. So now seven years in the legislature, and so what are the uh, the it's it's the ward committeeman? Did you say that yeah, ward and township? Ward right? and so this, this district is yeah. is probably sixty five percent city and thirty five percent suburbs. So what are some of the wards who have the major weighted vote? Forty uh, first ward, forty mm-hmm. fifth uh, ward. Which is uh, so 41st Ward is Tim Hennigan, 45th Ward is uh, former Alderman John Arena, uh, 38th Ward is a uh, local guy by the name of Rob Martwick. Uh, <laughs> Wonder who he's gonna He's gonna get confused. <laughs> uh, Main Township is Senator yeah. Laura Murphy as the committeeman. Um, uh, Nord Park Township is Frank Avino, and then uh, 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 a little bit of Leiden Township is Barrett Peterson, who's the mayor of Franklin Park, and then there's just smatterings of other things in there. All right, a little civic lesson for folks. I know our uh, most of our listeners know this, but just in case there's some who don't, uh, the uh, a state rep, a state senate seat consists of two state rep seats, so it's twice the size of a, a, a your normal state rep seat. So yes. you represent more people. So in that way, uh, it's a promotion because you have a large district more people will get to vote for you more people will know your name on the other hand uh, you have seniority built up in the house your position in the house has put you at the forefront of many important issues not the least of which is the elected school board and the fair tax we'll get into both of those uh, do you are you concerned they may lose some of that clout some of that influence uh, some of that say if you move to the the Senate um, yeah. Inevitably, yes. I mean, that has certainly been part of my consideration and part of the hesitancy. Um, There's two things that factor into that equation. There's no doubt that I would go back to being a freshman again in the Senate. But I was able to distinguish distinguish myself pretty quickly. And I'm not a true freshman. I'm coming in with a a record that I think people will look to and that I think I will still be able to uh, uh, work on important legislation in very short order. The other part of it is this. We have some stars, and I mean stars, in the House of Representatives. Young people that have recently won elections. And and I think that by moving to the Senate and reestablishing myself there, I'm opening up an opportunity for other people to weigh in on those big bills in the House as well. All right. And and the same bills are at play in the Senate as That's right. they are in the House. That's right. And I have my relationships. I'll be able to help people pass legislation in both chambers. And I think there's a real opportunity for me to do good work. My God, I'm just thinking about this. This, this image popped up. You've been dealing for all these years 
first with the inscrutable Michael Joseph Madigan, Speaker of the House. Now you're going to deal with Cullerton, a whole different uh, a political animal, if you will. Uh, in your mind, what's the difference? How do you, you what, how do you compare Michael Madigan, Speaker of the House, to John Cullerton, who's President of the Senate? It's hard to um, because I really haven't worked with Senate President Cullerton, despite the fact that we are all in the same building and working on the same issues. There really is, you know, each side stays on its side of the building, uh, certainly when it comes to leadership dealings. Um, Madigan has been really great to me personally, helped me with my career, helped me advance and and shown me a lot of confidence. Um, I like John Cullerton. I've known him for a long time. He seems to be more uh, has a more democratic approach to the process and that's probably easier because he's not hurting as many cats as Madigan is in the house and you know uh, but they both do excellent jobs with their caucuses I'm looking forward to it yeah hold on let me have some I'm going to drink some Michael Madigan Kool-Aid there we go Mm. (laughs) let me tell you something about Michael Joseph Madigan all right I just drank the Michael Joseph Madigan Kool-Aid the guy does a great job I'm going to get hammered for this one for my Uh, friends of the leftist persuasion I don't care he does a great job taking care of the political interests of his caucus members. That, in my humble opinion, Rob Markwick is his greatest achievement, which is probably why he's accumulated so much power and stayed in office for so long, because it's such a great job. And and for years, you can make the argument that has uh, sort of uh, been a hurt progressive politics because he w- was reluctant to advance pro- really progressive issues like until now, a fair tax, because he didn't want to force any of his caucus members to vote for something that might get him in political trouble. Yeah, and it's one of those things where for every Democratic loss, you can easily blame Mike Madigan. But then if you're going to do that, then you have to give him credit for every great Democratic and progressive victory, including the fair tax and marriage equality and legalization of recreational cannabis. He worked tirelessly on rounding up the votes and making sure the caucus was comfortable with moving that agenda. And and so, you know, it's a two edged sword. But but you're right. I, I, he he may not be ahead of the curve. He may not be tearing down the walls to accomplish stuff, but he sets the stage for things to get accomplished when the time is right. And he is better on the elected school board than Cullerton. We'll get to the elected at school board in a little bit. The games that gets played with the elected school board, that's been Rob Markwick's, uh, well, you've been championing that issue for at least four years now, Rob. But five, if not, not that I'm counting, but I, five I, I, years. Do, I do call it my Sisyphus bill. Yeah, it's sure. My, oh, you're yeah. getting that up the hill. All right. Now, um, let's just talk in the most general terms about the session that just ended. I uh, went two days, uh, am I right? He went two days over, yes. uh, over, over time as opposed to uh, last year or the year before with uh, your favorite uh, governor, ha, 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 mm-hmm. Bruce Rauner. I think, remember they went all summer, I want to say? Yeah, never stopped. Continuing session all summer long, all fall long. It was just nonstop. All right. So in your sense, give, give, give folks a, a general idea of what the difference between this session under Pritzker was like in contrast to previous sessions under uh, Bruce Rauner. Well, I mean, in the most simplest terms, the, the four years under Rana were completely non-functional. The government didn't function. The legislature didn't function. And important things that needed to get done didn't get done. And, and I tell people this all the time. I... I suffered a heart attack in 2016, and I really believe a lot of that was dealing with the stress of knowing that every single day we learned about people that were dying because they were denied services that they were entitled to and wait that we were completely able to deliver them. Mm-hmm. 
but we were not because of this impasse. Uh, Governor Pritzker came in and immediately said, we are going to have a functioning government. And he sat down and he met daily with the Republican leaders, even though he knew that they were never going to, they couldn't join him on his biggest, big initiatives because they were partisan initiatives. But he said, we're going to, I'm going to keep them informed. I'm going to let them know what's going on. I'm going to keep them in the discussion. And so in the end, we had a historic session, not just for the great progressive uh, uh accomplishments right i always say that that listen we landed all these planes recreational cannabis gaming expansion the reproductive health act a fair tax these are these are monumental achievements 15 dollars an hour minimum wage yeah. everyone forgets because that was done at the very beginning of the session mm-hmm. monumental that we could get any of them done let alone all of them and yet probably the greatest accomplishment of this session was that the operation of government which is not supposed to be partisan it's supposed to be nonpartisan. Democrats and Republicans all have an interest in a functioning government. And so the operation of government, the budget, the revenue that involved supporting the budget, the capital bill, which is reinvestment in our state, and the revenue that supports capital was done with broad bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest accomplishment of the session. Well, it's it's when we pull back and think about it for a while, it just goes to show you what an extremist uh, Bruce Rauner was. And think about it, uh, Rob, you've been around Illinois politics for a while. Uh, it, it, Illinois politics has always been a, uh, uh, or the downstate uh, has always been a venue where Republicans and Democrats could find, could cut deals. Yeah. All right. They are, and you could accuse them, you, if anything, o- overlooking obligations like pension obligations. Uh, that would be an accusation that crosses party lines. But they were generally able to reach consensus on things like a capital budget yep. uh, or a budget budget. You right, know what I'm right. saying? And Bruce Rauner put that to a screeching halt with his assault on unions. And I'm always going to give Madigan credit for this for whatever reason. At that particular point in time, he took a stand on behalf of collective bargaining rights and would not sell out collective bargaining rights to get a budget with, uh, with, with Rauner. And he was vilified for it. He yeah. was turned into public enemy number one with, by a very expensive attack campaign by Bruce Rauner. And once Rauner's gone, it's like we went back to sort of the way things were under Edgar, Ryan, Thompson, etc. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, you've probably heard this from some of my colleagues, but it's something I'll never forget the very first day that we caucused and he had just met with Rauner and he walked into the caucus and he said, ladies and gentlemen, he goes, make no mistake. This is Madigan. Talking, yes. yeah. He said, for the next four years, we will be engaged in a battle for the heart and soul of the Democratic Party and the people that we support and the people that we try to represent. Make no mistake about it. We are in the battle. And if you if you don't have the stomach for this, this is going to be a very long and difficult four years. And he held the line on that, and I give him a lot of credit for it. Um, but but turning pivoting on that to how it relates today, mm-hmm. let me give as much credit to Michael J. Madigan, John Cullerton, and really especially J.B. Pritzker, because recognize that J.B. Pritzker won by the largest margin that an incumbent, I mean, a challenger has ever defeated an incumbent governor in the history of the state of Illinois. We have super duper majorities in the House and the Senate. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no motivation and no need for us to include the Republican Party in anything. And yet when we least needed to do it, we had the most bipartisan operation of our government 
ever. And to me, that is a feather in the cap of the Democratic Party. After what we've been through with Rauner, we could have just said, go pound sand. Instead, we said, no, no, you're back. You're welcome back at the table. Let's work this out yeah. like, like adults. I got mixed feelings about that. Okay. I, I hear what you're saying. It's very important. I believe to be conciliatory is a virtue. Uh, I believe that to listen to other people is a virtue, but it's always up to the Democrats to play nice. I can't think of one instance where a Republican in this country, in this day and age of Donald Trump, Rob, has ever been conciliatory. Scott Walker in Wisconsin, not conciliatory. Bruce Rauner in Illinois, not conciliatory. Donald Trump, come on. Yeah. You know, he's every day he wakes up and he starts tweeting uh, BS at the Democrats. It's all about attack, attack, attack. So, yes, I hear you. I, I believe it's important to be conciliatory and it's virtuous, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point, aren't the Democrats in danger of losing because they play it too nice? Well, I, I don't think so. And I think by virtue of the fact that we accomplished so many important initiatives because of our power, we said we're going to pass a fair tax, we're going to pass a reproductive health act. We did that largely by our, um, entirely by ourselves, right? Yes. Um, so we did pass the initiatives that matter to us. But um, as I said, the operation of government should be bipartisan. And the worst thing that can happen in this state and in this country is when, and we see this with the nonstop government shutdowns in the federal level, what happened in, in Springfield, that shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, you can't have bipartisanship by demanding it. Bipartisanship only comes when you offer it. And so I'm very proud of my party mm -hmm. for taking the high road and offering it and, and allowing it when there, there was no need for them to do that. All right, fair enough. I will, although I will, I will point out to our, our listeners, the Republicans are missing in action on the marijuana bill. Uh, did any Republicans vote for the marijuana bill for legal at two? Two. <laughs> it's a start. It's a start. Dude, that's pretty pathetic. Uh, they were missing an act. Oh, my God. Fair tax. We're getting into fair tax. Yeah. Zero. No, Zero. that was, a, and that was without a doubt, a political calculation. They made that statement very early on. They said, we're all 100% against it. And uh, they did that last year, too, when I filed the bill uh, before Governor Pritzker was elected. Mm-hmm. Um, on my bill, they came out and did a resolution that they were all against it, except for one. And that was uh, former General David Harris, former Republican state representative, who is now the Department of the Illinois, uh, the director of the Illinois Department of Revenue. So, in other words, the uh, the uh, a former state rep Republican was in favor of fair tax. He's no longer state rep, but Pritzker. He works for Pritzker. Yes, and and he was. Um, he's no longer state rep. He was part of. He was one of the leaders of solving the budget crisis over Rauner's veto. He never came out um, publicly as well. The fair tax is the solution to all of our problems, but, but, and this is what made David Harris such a great representative was that he said. In a state that has the financial troubles than ours, how do you draw a line in the sand and say, I won't consider a potential solution, right? Yeah. He said, we've got to be open to everything. Yeah, well, all right, I'm going to give uh, Harris credit. One more time, I'll point out, he got a job. He's now working for Pritzker. I'm trying to think of one Democrat that Bruce Rauner ever hired to. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to learn from Pritzker. That's the thing about Pritzker. 
I, I would always impressed by uh, Pritzker's bill. I talk, tell Dennis this all the time. He could take a hit in the head and keep walking. He doesn't seem to like, hold a grudge. I yeah. told you this the other day. I wrote this in a story. I have a problem holding grudges for like years, okay? Lori Lightfoot, I think, has a similar problem. We'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it takes a while for me to let go. You know, look, I'm still fuming about re- Scott Walker and yeah. uh, I have I, that'll be twenty years I think, <laughs> if I'm still around, uh, Rob. But um, Pritzker doesn't seem to hold a grudge. He's he is uh, yeah. And I will tell you, I've I've known JB for a long time. I had the same skepticism that anyone has because I've seen this parade of of very wealthy people who have no experience coming in to the highest levels of government and screwing it up, mm-hmm. Bruce Rauner. And so I had very big concerns. But JB has been nothing less than a historic governor in his first year um, he's passed more legislation in his first year you, you can't even imagine anything like that happening but the way that he did it and the way that he handled himself is like he's like a veteran I mean he's just fantastic at it so. yeah well it's a, he's got an instinct I, I I recognized that when I uh, first met him he's just got an instinct and ability uh, not to ho- not to be make it personal, not to hold a grudge. Uh, the, like you said, he invited the Republicans. After four years of watching those Republicans gang up on the Democrats, pound Madigan. I didn't see any of them protesting the way Rauner treated Madigan, the way he vilified Madigan. Mm-hmm. But it was like it was over. He invited everybody to the mansion and the Gold Coast except for me. Everybody got to go. Uh, he invited Dirk uh, and um, the uh, leader in the Senate, Brady. Brady. Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about fair tax. Uh, fair tax. The principle of fair tax is that the wealthier you are, the higher the rate you pay in terms of income tax. So, or, or as I like to say it, instead of everyone paying the same rate, we have lower rates for people who learn less income. That's a very, very good way. That's why he's getting promoted to state senator. Uh, and uh, all right. So but there's tremendous resistance from the part of the Republican Party uh, to this notion. And uh, it, it uh, was vilified uh, and demonized. How did how were the Democrats able to hold uh, their party together for what was basically a, a party vote? Yeah. And, and so and it was a party vote. Um, I think one person uh walked off the floor and did not vote on the issue but the 73 of us that were left we all voted for it and and there were people that it was a more difficult vote because they come from more conservative areas um uh, once again i i will uh you know it was something that we worked hard on i met with the pritzker administration my colleagues in the house uh uh, Representative Zaleski and Representative R. Turner, uh, my colleagues in the Senate who worked on this, Representative Toy, excuse me, Senator Toy Hutchinson, Senator Menar, Senator Don Harmon, um, and we met with the administration three times a week and constantly working through this, trying to find a way to get to uh, a path to getting this passed. And it was challenging. But again, I give the administration a lot of credit because when they needed to address the concerns of the members, they did it. Mm -hmm. There was a big concern about high property taxes in some of these suburban areas where there are Democrats representing areas that are being crushed with high property taxes. And Governor Pritzker found a way to make these people feel comfortable by, you know, addressing high property taxes uh, in in a minor way now, but opening up the door for uh, real actual reform as we go forward. Um, And so... You know, it, it was a phenomenal process. It was great to be part of it. The The Republicans are unified in opposition to it. Um, I guess the thing that I would say that makes me happy about that is that their opposition is nothing less than completely transparent. Because everything that they say that is a knock on this has just been completely 
shown to be false. Mm-hmm. They say, ah, oh, this is a tax on businesses, which will be a tax on jobs, which will you know cost jobs, and then we'll suffer from it. 95% of the small businesses in Illinois will receive lower taxes under a fair tax than they do under the current flat tax system. Um, they say, oh, well, this will make it easier to raise taxes on the middle class. That's nonsense. There's no change in the structure on what it takes to raise rates. You still need the same vote totals. You still need someone to propose it. And if it's if a flat tax, if, if, if it's hard to move a rate on someone who makes uh, $150,000 a year now, why would it be easier to move it if it's a fight? You still, you're still moving the rate on somebody who makes $150,000 a year. It's not going to be any easier. Yeah. So when they, this this false profession to be looking out for the little guy, yeah. when clearly they're being bankrolled by millions and millions of dollars coming from billionaires to fight this, it's very transparent. So I, I think the prospects for it are very good. All right, so let me remind everybody, this is just round one. Uh, essentially what the House and uh, the Senate did was pass a resolution calling for a statewide referendum, a binding referendum that will be on the ballot in November of 2020, uh, the the next presidential election. Uh, and that will be a showdown of massive proportions. What do you see going forward on this issue? Well, there's going to be a lot of many money spent. Um, again, I think that the good news is is that the money will be spent on one side to misinform, and, and on our side, it will be basic, factual information. And I think that, that in the end, that's what's going to carry the day. Mm-hmm. People are going to see through the misinformation. You can't say, well... We say that it lowers taxes on people making $250,000 a year or less, and they say, well, no, it doesn't. And then you're going to look it up and you're going to go, actually, it does. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, so we're going to win that argument, and I think that we're in a very good position to get this done. It, it's fascinating. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, you know, a little okay. side note about that. Um, talking about the difference between the Senate and the House, I think about, you know, if I go to the Senate, now I carried the fair tax in the House. My good friend Senator Harmon carried it in the Senate. The debate on the fair tax constitutional amendment in the Senate took nine nine minutes. In the House of Representatives, it took three hours and 42 That's minutes. That's the difference between the Senate and the House right there. That's right. We, we, like, to have, we like to have arguments First in the of House. all, there's more of you in there, so everybody wants to talk. Oh, and yeah. secondly, uh, there's a lot of people, work, again, as I said, they're in sort of swing districts. Madigan very got drew those districts very carefully to make maximize the Democratic numbers that could win, and that meant that you got a lot of Republicans in there. So, you know, people are protecting their flank by getting up and saying, I'm up for this, but, you know, with nuance it a little bit. But. Yeah, let's just say I did not make the right choice in shoes for that day. I was a little little sore after standing on my feet for three hours and 42 minutes. Yeah, you should have worn uh, some sneakers. Yeah. All right, so the fair tax, that'll be a battle going on. You have a little more confidence uh, than I do. I'm, I tend to be uh, very pessimistic about these things. Um, it's I, In my humble opinion, we'll, we'll make one of our famous bets, Rob. In my humble opinion, it's very difficult to get people to uh, vote to impose a tax, even if the tax is not on themselves, yeah. okay? And so so uh, I just watched uh, 
uh, a tax go down in California and Los Angeles, a tax that was intended to provide uh, to increase property taxes to provide for the public schools. It went down, and that reminded me once again it's how difficult it is to get people. Uh, that's why Mayor Daley always stayed away from referendums like that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there's going to be a real challenge. I'm optimistic because it's something that you know I campaigned on eight years ago. It's something that I filed when people told me it was crazy to even file it and keep advancing it. So I feel like it's on a path. And again, I think that uh, we have a governor who is willing to, to commit substantial resources to making sure that the the people are informed. Without the information, I think it's dead. All right. Uh, now let's go to the gambling bill. You and I talked briefly about this the other day. I have a lot of uh, issues with the gambling bill. This is a massive expansion of gambling in the state of Illinois. Uh, ProPublica had an article. I think there was like uh, we're now the Midwest capital of gambling. I think that's what the headline was. Uh, it's not that uh, I'm against gambling. It's not that I want a prohibition on gambling. I'm just troubled by the fact that the state is relying more and more on something that's so clearly a regressive tax because it's just, it's a tax on suckers who shouldn't, who should know better, but don't. The odds are completely stacked against them. Uh, Rob, when they go to a a casino or they bet uh, on any bet, really, I mean, the reason why casinos make money is because the odds are in their favor. Um, do you have mixed feelings about this as well? Yeah, and I've often said to people that if I could be emperor of the world for a day, and this is important because that's what it would take, mm-hmm. emperor of the world for a day, <laughs> yeah. I would ban gambling. But I, I can't. I can't be emperor of the world for the day, let alone president of the United States, let alone governor of the state of Illinois for a day at this moment. Um, and, and so the idea that you're going to suddenly turn the tide on gambling you're not going to people it gambling is everywhere yeah. you can you can gamble everywhere you can gamble at your church you can go play bingo you can gamble at your your gas station you go buy all your lottery tickets and i've seen people walk in and say uh, give me five of those and eight of those and six of those and they stand at the counter and scratch them off and they go winner give me five more of those and six more of those so they just blow all their winnings yes gambling is is yes. extremely pervasive and uh-huh. to me i just i support expansion because we have to be careful that that regulation doesn't become protectionism. And really, that's what a lot of these struggles are about. We talked about the the other day is that a lot of the struggles over gambling is protecting whose interests, right? And and so to me, um, you know, again, it's, I don't think it's the right way to do things. But as long as people are leaving Chicago, you go down to those casinos in Indiana, it's nothing but Illinois license plates. Yeah. Well, if they're going to spend the money. No, no, people love gambling. Trust me when I tell you, I know this for a fact. I've been around a long time. I've had my issues with gambling. People love to gamble. So I'm not for a prohibition on gambling. I think that would be ridiculous. I don't think it would work. Uh, I just think it is definitely a sucker's hex. And I said this to you on the phone the other day. I was struck by the different responses to legalizing gambling uh, or expanding gambling, excuse me, and legalizing reefer. it, there was tremendous, as you pointed out, wheeling and dealing behind the scenes on the, the gambling bill because there were billionaires battling it out as to who would get the bigger stake in Illinois. That's right. Uh, but there wasn't the breast beating, the the, the 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 speeches about how we're threatening civilization as we know it, like we had with the legalized reefer stuff. People getting up with the guy with the egg where he dropped it in the. Uh, I mean, come on, man! It was like a. You remember the, the some state rep, a Democrat, I think Anthony, it was Anthony. Del- 
DeLuca, yes. Was it DeLuca who did yes. it? Okay, he took the egg and he put it in a frying pan. This is an adolescent brain on reefer. And I happen to know a lot of adolescents, you know, smoke. But the, I'm not saying you should go smoke reefer when you're an adolescent. I'm just saying all the concern expressed about marijuana, but people just, I didn't hear anybody talking not, about it. No. There is no, and and again, I think that's because um, it's two part. You know, one is is that that a lot of people view this as a big change, making a drug accessible to people, and they have their feelings about that. But again, I think gambling is just so pervasive in our society that we've come to accept that it's just normal. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I agree with you. I, I agree with everything you say about it. I dislike it. I wish there was a way to make it a more progressive tax. Um, there just isn't, you know. Um, I hate those regressive taxes. I hate cigarette taxes. I hate cigarette mm-hmm. taxes. Why? Do I want people to smoke? No. But, you know, r- rich people don't smoke cigarettes. It's poor people because they have little to do and the, they, they can't afford to, to do all the fun things that rich people can do. And so they have little minor pleasures. And we're like, oh, yeah, don't don't you dare do that. We're going to. I always I, I always joke about it when I was talking about the cigarette tax. I say, you know what that guy does that works in my district? That guy was a painter and he works about 65, 70 hours a week. And he's on a Friday. He's all covered with paint. And he gets in his, you know, his truck and he's driving home and he's stuck in traffic and he gets on his cell phone with his wife and he says, honey, I've had it. It's been a tough week week pack up the kids pack a bag i'll meet you at the airport we're gonna head over to belize for a weekend we'll relax on the beach and see actually he doesn't say that ben <laughs> what he says is honey i'm exhausted yeah get the kids in their pajamas uh-huh. i'm gonna pick up order some pizzas yeah i'm gonna pick up a, a a case of beer and a carton of smokes and when we get home we'll watch some 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 uh we'll we'll watch something on on uh, netflix yeah. right and and what we as a government say is Huh, you poor schlub, we're going to tax the bejesus out of you from every way till Sunday. We're going to get your cigarettes, we're going to get your beer, we're going to get your Netflix, and it's like, come on. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm very sensitive to that. I hate that, and that's what I hate about, about gaming expansion. But like I said, I just I think people have just come to the point that we accept that we might as well, if we're going to have it, we might as well maximize our revenue. Absolutely, and I just want to point out uh, the Republicans' tremendous resistance to a fair tax to increasing the income tax on the highest earners in the state of Illinois. Tremendous opposition. Not one Republican voted for that. But there was Republican support for the gambling expansion. There was big Republican support for the gambling expansion. So interesting attitudes, contrasting attitudes that the Republican Party, Rob Markwick, had. Has to, uh, to taxation. Uh, they're against it when the rich are being taxed, but they're not so much against it when it's a, a regressive tax. Isn't that not interesting? All. Yep. all right. Uh, now let's talk about the elected school board. Uh, this has been five years, I think you said, that you've been pushing for the elected school board. Uh, there's some irony, I guess, that you would, you're, you're hoping to move to the Senate because traditionally Madigan greenlit it in the House. And then it would go over to the Senate. John Cullerton would block it uh, generally as a favor to Mayor Rahm. Uh, And now you're going to go to the Senate, so maybe it'll be reversed. Um, Let's talk about the elected school board tax. Oh, elected school board tax. Man, got tax. (laughs) The elected school board bill. Uh, What happened? How did that get blocked this time around? Well, my understanding is, and it's only from what I've read in in the newspapers, was that Senator Cullerton, the president, uh, suggested that he 
stop the progress of the bill at the behest of Mayor Lightfoot. Mm -hmm. Um, She has said she doesn't like the structure of my bill, which is fine. And she wants to create a different structure and she wants to work with that. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm of course happy to have those conversations. Um, um, I'd ask the the speaker and I will ask the Senate president uh, for the opportunity to be involved in those discussions because I I didn't, I, I didn't just, you know, fall off a turnip truck and say, ooh, look, I found an elected school board bill. It was five years of work, uh, bipartisan negotiations, and the structure of the bill that I came up with was designed to address concerns that people had, making sure this is supposed to be an elected representative school board, not an elected school board, an elected representative school board, making sure that the rich, diverse culture and, and de- demographics of the city of Chicago were properly represented before the school board, and that we limited the influence of outside money. And so that's where I came up with my structure to address those problems. Um, if the mayor has ideas for a solution that will do that, and again, like I say, this passed the House 110 to 2. Wow. And and every time it's passed, mm. three times by, by three different legislatures, by overwhelming majorities, and and so it, it's not like it's a, a crazy idea. It's something that's been well vetted. But I'm happy to hear and sit down um, with the mayor and talk about uh, solutions and, and compromise and address her concerns because maybe there's something I haven't thought of. So I, I look forward to that opportunity. Um, I joked with somebody the other day. I said, gee, I said, I wonder if I can get the Senate sponsor to give up sponsorship to me if I make it to the Senate. And then I maybe I could be the first person in the history of Illinois to pass a bill in both the House and the Senate in the same year. Yeah, you know, uh, so. that that would be like someone getting traded in, in, in a baseball and hitting a home run in the National League and a home run in the American League, something like that. Uh, it actually, it would be more like uh, being traded in the middle of the game, throwing the pitch, yes. and the pitches in the air, <laughs> changing uh, uniforms and hitting Running, a home run. Hitting a home yes, run. that so. would be uh, interesting. Limit the influence of outside money in school board elections. How would your bill do that? Well, I, I think that's important. And, you know, there are many different ways to do it, but a lot of the ways that people talk about, like, well, let's do public financing of elections. And I'm like, that's a great idea, but we don't generally do that in Illinois right now, right? Mm-hmm. We don't do it at all. So without recreating the wheel, using the existing laws that we have, to me, um, the example, the bad example is Los Angeles. Los Angeles ran seven school board members at large. The Koch brothers came in and they bought up every single seat. They spent $2 million per seat on those elections mm-hmm. and they own the entire elected school board. Yeah. That's what we're trying to avoid. And so the answer is, is don't have massive districts. The answer is have smaller districts. And so there was a big discussion about what's the right number. Senate, uh, President Cullerton at one point believed that 14 would be the right number. Um, Um, Some people have suggested it should be no more than seven. I think that's problematic. I picked out 20. 20 is roughly the size. If you had 20 school board members, the districts would be roughly the size of state rep districts, which means you still can win through grassroots organization. Mm -hmm. And and money is going to play a role, but it's going to be a lesser role. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you said representative, elected representative school boards. What do you mean when you put that word representatives in there? What what exactly does that mean to you? Well, that's key. I mean, the the mission for the last 10 years by the the myriad of Mm -hmm. groups that have grown up around advocating for education in Chicago have demanded an elected representative school board, not an elected school board. They want an elected representative school board, meaning that the unique, I mean, the, the educational challenges of Englewood are not the educational challenges of Saugenash. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that, that each 
area of the city has their concerns addressed at the school board. Someone they can elect someone who understands what the problems in their districts are, and uh, just having an elected school board doesn't do that. It needs to be representative. All right, yeah, and I now must make uh, a correction and an apology to Rob Martwick. Here we go. He knows what's coming. Uh, I talked about this last week a lot. Last week I wrote a column in the Reader where I was talked about the need to have an elected school board, uh, even though I approve of I like the appointees that Mayor uh, Lightfoot put on yeah. the current school board. I think a big improvement over yeah. Rahm's school boards, uh, but I you know you can't always expect. Uh, the mayor to make the right choice and in a democracy we should have an elected school board as a principal I'm for an elected school board and i positioned that my point of view was that part of the reason she um is opposed to it at least at this moment is because you're proposing it and part of that has to do with uh, a moment from the first uh campaign before the runoff where you showed up at a press conference uh, and to uh, voice your concern or your opposition uh, to what she was going to her opposition to your bill. And I said, you heckled her in the column and that was wrong. You did not heckle her. You voiced your opposition. So I, uh, I humbly apologize to well, you for uh, misusing, uh, mischaracterizing what you did. Ben, so, you never have to apologize for what you did. I appreciate that. It is good of you. Um, you know, that was a moment that I, I wish I could take back. It was not something that I appeared in a good light and and that's not something I'm very proud of. Um, I never went there to heckle her. Uh, I went there to hear what she was saying about my bill, and then I offered an explanation. Um, and it, after it was all over, and it, it turned into what it turned into. And, you know, I, I, it's one of those things that um, I, I've said from that day forward, I have nothing but the greatest respect for Lori Lightfoot as a person. And certainly uh, early on, what she is, the way she's conducting herself, she is smart, she is ambitious, she is, uh, she really has the ability, I think, to be a great mayor. And I want to help her with that. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I hope I can get past this. I hope she can too. All right. Let me, uh, Lori Lightfoot. I know you're a big fan. You're listening. Come on, let it go. He said, oh, he's a good guy, Mark. All right. He let it go. All right. I've Thanks, been known to hold grudges for a long time. <laughs> don't follow. Don't emulate me, Lori Lightfoot. Thanks, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, Rob Markwick. All right. Before I let you get out the door, I got to talk a little national politics with you. I'm utterly obsessed with this upcoming presidential race. Yeah. Uh, I, you're a Democratic committeeman, so you follow Democratic politics. I asked you before we went on air who you supported uh, 2016, because I always forget who people supported, and you were a a Hillary person. Um, So what's your sense now as we head into campaign season? You know, it's such a crowded field, and there are so many people that, that bring so many good things to the table. I really would like to see a process where we start to unify sooner than later. I don't know if that's possible, um, but I hope we can, as a party, start settling on a, a choice, um, and maybe these early debates will start to thin the field a little bit. Um, but I, I really like all of the candidates. Certainly, they're, it's a diverse field. Um, you know, I think Joe Biden stands out as something very different. I don't know if he's the right candidate or not. He's certainly knocking it out of the park with fundraising. God bless him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but whoever it is, you know, we're at one of those points where, and, and I mean this, I, I don't like, this would be something I might have said about George Bush, uh, either one of them. Mm-hmm. But realistically speaking, we can look back in retrospect and say, George Herbert Walker Bush having a second term would have not been the end of our country. It would not have been a threat to democracy. Um 
you've got a president in there who really is tearing at the fabric of everything that made this country great, not now, but over the course of the last 200 and you know, 50 years, this is, this is, he is attempting to tear down uh, the, the sanctity of, of journalism as, as the fourth estate. He is, he is attacking uh, immigration that built this country. Um, he is dividing people on, on issues that are just, and, 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 and the, the, on top of that, the way that he conducts himself mm-hmm. is just offensive. George Herbert Walker Bush, Ronald Reagan, whatever I may have disagreed with those men they were gentlemen they were statesmen mm-hmm. right I, I could i could be proud even if i even if i didn't like them personally or or politically i could be proud of my country when they were serving as president but this is just this has got to end and we've got to find the candidate to yeah do. all right and uh uh it, it, it's it's interesting the democrats um who was i just hearing this saying that it's got to be more than about bashing Donald Trump. They have to offer something. I, uh, I get into that a little bit when I talk about what they offer. But I, I, in a fundamental way, I disagree with that. I think that ultimately it is about Donald Trump. And uh, I do believe that there is a difference between the Democrats and Republicans. But traditionally, Rob, when you have a strong economy, the country elects, reelects the president. That's mm-hmm. tr- the tradition. So I think what we're really asking people to do is consider beyond the economy, beyond the issues, and think about what you're talking about, just the way a person conducts himself in office uh, and just how they deal, you know, factual things, like how much they lie and just openly lie. Yeah. Uh, so I actually do think it is about Donald Trump. Yeah, well, there's a lot of time for the economy to change between now and the election, and I don't hope that it does. Um, but but again, I'll just look to a recent election and where we had someone who was very similar to Donald Trump, if not with all of the the dramatics. Um, but Bruce Hunter was very much like that, very divisive and really attacking at the core of what Illinois has always been. And and J.B. Pritzker did not make his entire campaign about beating up Bruce Hunter. He did did that without a doubt. And I think he, he should have, and I think it was the right thing to do, but he also did offer a vision of a different Illinois and how we could solve problems and how we could fix things and move forward. And, um, you know, like I said, I think, I think people are looking for that. I think they're looking for a little hope. I, especially, I, especially the middle, I think the middle looks at the, the, what's going on in, uh, Georgia and Alabama and in Missouri with abortion. And they think to themselves, well, wait, hold on a second here. You know, I mean, the discussion is now turned, and this is said often, and I said it the other night on an interview, when Roe versus Wade is overturned, and people go, wait, what do you mean if? I go, no, 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 when? When? Because it's an inevitability, and I think that that's going to really start to hit home with people, that these are big changes. This is turning back the clocks on a lot of progress that we've made in our country, and uh, I think that there's a, an opportunity to show how that's bad mm-hmm. and how there is an alternative. So I, I hope that that's the message, not just beating up on Trump, but but showing an alternative vision. You know, and uh, speaking of alternative visions, um, uh, I got to give credit to this man over here. Uh, Dennis has long said that the Democrats can win if they uh, have a candidate who advances health care for all. And that's a very important issue at this stage uh, of 
of our country's development. It was a little radical in 2016. It split the party, the Democratic Party. The Hillary people were saying, Bernie's offering too much. That's, that's going too far when he talked about his Medicare for all. The way I look at it now, Rob, I do not believe the Democrats can afford to go into the 2020 election after their convention in Milwaukee split on this issue where you have the, the nominee being against a Medicare for all or a single payer system and what, three quarters of the party? Yeah. In favor of it. No, I think it's a big issue. It's going to continue to be a big issue. You know, I, I've... I, I tell people all the time, I, it's one of those issues that I just, I don't understand how we're not addressing it. Uh, I, I'm an attorney and in my law practice, I, I have health insurance and between my wife and my son and I, I have to spend $21,000 out of my pocket before my insurance really gives me any sort of significant coverage. And I, my wife and I were sitting around the other day thinking, who the heck can afford this? Oh. I mean, healthcare it continues to destroy the lives of people. It wipes them out. You get sick and you are wiped out. And that is something that's got to change in this country. And I think that that's an issue that, that, that everyone is going to understand. They're continuing to understand it. They're continuing to feel the pinch. And meanwhile, the Republicans are talking about, you know. Getting I mean, rid of what we have. Getting rid of what we have. Yeah. yeah, because they still hate Obama. Wait a minute. Now, have you changed? Have you sort of evolved uh, on, on this issue or from 2016? What was your position on this issue in 2016? Um, I've always been uh, for, you know, in, in my, my position in 2016 was never one of an emphatic position because of the fact that I'm not an expert on things healthcare, right? So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am absolutely for, you know, when Obamacare was originally conceived and we were talking about a government option, we were talking about a single payer. Those are the sorts of things that I, I absolutely believe that we should be moving towards. A, a, a Medicare for all certainly makes a lot of sense. I think that people have to know that they're, that the government is their back, right? That's the whole point of if government doesn't exist mm-hmm. to support people when capitalism cannot Right. We are a society where our government has always been the backstop to capitalism. We've always said we're a capitalist country. Go make your money, make your millions, make your billions. Heck, make your trillions. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have a backstop for the people who can't keep up. And right now, what we've done with the healthcare industry is we're leaving the common people behind. We're saying, eh. You can't afford it. Eh, tough luck mm-hmm. for you, and that shouldn't be what it should be. So, so whatever we design in this system, like I said, and I'm not an expert on it, but there has got to be a backstop so that people can have it. That's what Obamacare was designed to do, and I truly believe that if it hadn't been screwed with, if it had been given, and I said the day that it passed, it's going to take ten years before we know whether or not this will work. But it just got immediately attacked and diminished, and and the things that they did, even the negotiations before it was allowed to pass, were setting it up to fail, mm-hmm. setting it up to fail. So we've got to commit to making something that works, and I, again, it's got to be the Democratic Party because I think the Republicans are, they're backed by the money and they don't want it. Well, the Republican Party is in such a bizarre situation and it goes back to Trump. Why everything really comes back to Trump. Uh, Trump, I don't know if it was a tweet or uh, an interview, 
talking about his health care plan. He has no health care plan. Right. All right. He goes, but it was a classic Trump where he was speaking in superlatives about something that didn't exist. I got the best health care plan. It's going to be a wonderful health care plan. It's going to be better than the Democrats, way better than Obamacare. He's got nothing. This guy's been in office for two years, got yeah. nothing, absolutely nothing, Rob. Yeah. And uh, so anybody who believes him is a fool. Do you follow what I mean? It's yeah. just, I hate to say it, but if no. you can follow, you talk about gamblers, but it's putting good, more good money, you know, you're throwing it down a hole. Yeah, somewhere P.T. Barnum's going, man, if I had a little bit of what Donald <laughs> Trump had, I could have really been successful. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's just, it, uh, Donald Trump, I, the, you know, the sucker's born every minute. Donald Trump, everyone's a sucker. Yeah. You know, it's unbelievable. Well, the biggest sucker uh, is in many ways the Republican Party because so the point I was going to make is that you you talk about the Republicans in this state, their opposition to a fair tax. They're just going to that's their position. They're going to go down. They're going to go down with that one, Rob. They're against a tax cut for everyone making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year or less. Yeah. Because they're against raising taxes on the wealthiest, so they're against a health care plan. They're going to go down. That's uh, that's going to be their position as we we head off uh, into this next election. And and like I said, I don't believe uh, it's a winning uh, uh, strategy for the Republican Party. And I really believe it only would work for the Democrats if they're united on that one. Yep, so, I agree. Uh, all right, that is Rob Markwick. He is a state representative as we speak from the northwest side of Chicago. Maybe the next time you come on this show, you'll be a state senator when when is that vote going down Rob it, it's going to happen sometime within the next 30 days or so and we'll see what happens I mean it it would be w- wonderful if I could uh, make a transition to the other chamber if not um, I I've had a, a great seven years in the house and I could I look forward to you know passing even bigger initiatives yeah so you're there. not leaving the house nah. but okay you just got elected yeah yeah I remember you coming on my old show that's, the right before the election that's right all right Rob Martwick is his name state representative of Northwest side soon be state senator I think Rob thanks so much for coming on the show Really Thanks for it. having me, Ben. All right, that's Rob Markwick. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Uh, Kristen Kaz is sitting right there. We're going to bring her on when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Hey! Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. 
Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for, what is today, Tuesday, June 18th is moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, June 18th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, Kristen Kaza of the Chicago Reader will join us. And it's Jerry Brown and Tom Shepard. Around here, we call them the Southside Political Know-It-Alls. And now your host, Chicago Southside, Northside, <laughs> East and West Side Know-It-All. He knows all the sides. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Rob Markwick has left the building, and the know-it-alls are uh, on deck, ready to come on. Tom Shepard and Jerry Brown. I love talking politics with these guys. Southside political know-it-alls. In honor of the Cubs Sox uh, series that's coming up, which I hate. I hate the Cubs Sox series. That's a whole other story. I thought I'd bring in the political know-it-alls from the South Side of Chicago. They know more about South Side political politics. Political politics. Know more about South Side politics than anyone alive. Tom Shepard, Jerry Brown, bring them on have a nice little debate about all kinds of politics but a little heavy emphasis on the south side so we're going to bring them on uh kristen Kaz is in the studio right now before i bring her on to talk about what the readers got going on what do you got for me boy two updates here first up thursday and friday this thursday and friday there will be no full two-hour live show no what uh, what yeah like, what oh, i hope you know this <laughs> ben is headed out of town yes sir but what were you going Wait, if you don't mind on, sharing man. with the audience oh he's putting on the sunglasses hollywood oh man hollywood swinger <laughs> going to 
Hollywood. Oh, next week he won't be singing that song, guys. Yeah. Don't worry. Uh, and also don't worry because we have been busting our buns behind the scenes here trying to make up for it with extra bonus interviews yes. available for you to download. Just a heads up once again here, live streamers and downloaders, no live show Thursday and Friday. Taking a little vacation time, but go subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky Show at wherever else you download uh, your favorite podcast. Benny J, bonus interviews will be released instead of the live shows both Thursday and Friday. Ben, what's in store for these Well, uh, we have, um, uh, oh my gosh, we have Maureen O'Donnell will be on. She's the obituary writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, the greatest obituary writer in the country, in my humble opinion. Uh, we're going to have Mick Dumkey, Ken Davis. We're going to have Jen Sabella. We're going to have Erica Wozniak. We've got a whole lineup of people uh, that I'll be interviewing, have interviewed for like the next couple days. I'll be interviewing people like crazy. And then you, the master, the maestro. Who, me? Yeah, you. Behind the board, wheeling and dealing and working. I don't know how you do all that stuff. Those interviews will pop up on the internet. Boom. Thursday will be an interview. Boom. Friday, an interview. Saturday. So I don't know how you do that stuff. You learned it in radio school. Yeah, radio school, you know. Yeah, man, a lot of good stuff happens in radio school. So once again, Thursday and Friday, no live show. We're going to have some uh, some bonus interviews for you to download. Every day the there'll be something new in the oh, Ben Jarofsky show. Look at that. That's yeah. a, All right. That's the promise he made to everybody there. So every day, something new on the Ben Jarofsky show. Look at the brain on Brad. All right. Now to news that is uh, actual news, I guess, here. Uh, uh, let's see. Donald Trump just announced that Patrick Shanahan will not be confirmed as Secretary of Defense. Shanahan was the acting defense secretary uh, in, the, in that role after Defense Secretary Jim Mattis resigned last December following acute and prolonged disagreements over policy with Donald Trump. Shanahan did, in fact, resign. Translation, he quit. Mm-hmm. And add him to the list here of so many former Donald Trump employees. The new acting defense secretary is Mark Esper, currently Secretary of the Army. He succeeds Patrick Shanahan, who quit this morning. Uh, I give uh, Mark Esper, uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, four weeks. Well, it's it would be funny if it wasn't so scary because, you know, on one hand, uh, Trump is going through all these uh, different uh, leaders of his uh, f- you know, Defense Department staff, and in the meantime, he's rattling the sabers uh, like, like he wants to provoke a war with Iran. So it's scary times. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping in a weird way that Donald Trump Trump loses interest uh, in this Iranian conflict before he takes us any further down this road, following John Bolton's advice, who uh, seems to have a lot of clout in that administration. So not good, Donald Trump. All right. So, hey, well, we're going to try and keep you posted on that. Ben, back to you. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, we're going to go d- back to local stuff. Kristen Kaza in here from the Chicago Reader. And uh, in your honor, I'm wearing my Chicago Reader t-shirt. Oh, I love it. Oh, we're, we're filming. Yes. Hey. Uh, yeah. And uh, I have a Chicago Reader notebook. I love those notepads. Uh, yeah, I love the notepads, They're too. So and uh, so anyway, you're here to talk about the Black Party, first of all. Uh, tell folks about the Black Party that's coming up this Sunday. Yeah, so for all the people who are watching this beautiful ad that was designed by, speaking of Southside, a Southsider, queer Southsider, Sam Kirk, amazing artist. She designed this beautiful art. Um, it's this Sunday, South, again, Southside shout out at uh, Mars Community Brewing. And it's 1 to 9 p.m. It's all ages. Kids under 10 are free. And it features entirely 100% LGBTQ Chicagoans. So rather than 
booking people from outside of the city. We've booked everybody from Chicago, and they are, I think, almost everyone except one act are um, LGBTQ, queer, and trans folk from Chicago. So, you know, putting our money where our mouth is, partying with a purpose, and it's this Sunday. Um, we have Lucy Stuhl, who's on the cover of The Reader. It's been a very popular issue. She's Chicago's drag mom. She's hosting a history of Chicago drag. That's going to be amazing. She's going to have queens and kings that are in their 60s that are going to be a part of that show. It's going to be really special. Um, a lot of things happening. We're starting with Drag Queen Storytime for the kids in the morning. But what I'm super excited about is we're ending the day with a live full band Janet Jackson tribute. Oh, wow. Because Janet has been an incredible icon to the yeah. LGBTQ community for decades. She didn't get her due for so many things, but we felt it was really important, especially with the 30th anniversary of Rhythm Nation, to um, do a little tribute to a true icon and advocate to the community. Yeah, no, she's worse than to get her due. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got the bum end of the deal back in the, with, with Super Bowl. Oh, that's boy. Right. We still got a lot of yeah, making up to do for yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? Justin Timberlake. No, it didn't touch his career. No, of course not. His just kept soaring. So, yeah. You know, that she her album that had come out, which is actually an incredible album, the band and I were talking about this in rehearsal the other day, Demita Joe. It's very, very good. And it was banned from a lot of stations because of that controversy when, you know, she did not, that, that wasn't her fault. That wasn't her mistake. But again, an example of sexism and wait time out now let's go back in time Mm -hmm. to this because i do remember this yes um the ripping yeah i remember it very well (laughs) uh and so okay help me out here was that do you think that was staged or you think that was an accident i def i 100 percent do not think that was staged so you think it was an accident no of course she and yeah of course and i think that she what's so incredible about janet jackson in she she never dragged justin timberlake for that you know, she really took a Michelle Obama when, you know, they go, we go high. And she, even on Oprah, when Oprah asked her about it, she was, it, it had such an enormous impact on her career. And um, I think she, it's only just starting to have that conversation again because of the broader conversations we're having about, you know, exploitation um, of people of color in culture. And uh, now the conversation's sort of coming back around. She's got her um, Vegas you know, show. Mm -hmm. She's got a residency in Vegas, which is amazing. And she's doing fabulous. But, you know, the people who love Janet love her. She's an icon. I mean, in this case, why we decided to do this dedication to her is, you know, usually Madonna and Lady Gaga and, you know, white women getting a lot of credit for being allies. But Janet, during the 90s, when she put out The Velvet Rope, I mean, that album was so groundbreaking. You know, she was talking about... um, AIDS and same-sex love, and she was really, you know, she didn't change the lyrics on uh, Tonight's the Night when she did that cover of Rod Stewart's. She didn't change the pronouns. I mean, that was groundbreaking. So just one of the really important examples of how she unapologetically advocated for the community. She's done a ton of advocacy for um, HIV, AIDS awareness, and fundraising. And Together Again, the song Together Again is a song that she created to have a hopeful and loving song about folks that passed from HIV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Janet Jackson. Yeah, so in 2004, when it went down, it was 2004, I want to say. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was like her career suffered, but nobody, Justin Timberlake, it, it, like, it, it was like he wasn't even on the stage with her. Yeah. And I'm not going to throw him under the bus, mm-hmm. but help me out here. Mm-hmm. Did he ever 
speak out on her behalf or did he just kind of pretend like the whole thing didn't happen and he just went on his merry way? Am I being unfair to Justin Timberlake? Well, you're asking the wrong person (laughs) because when it comes down to a controversy between a white man and a black woman, I'm probably always going to side with a black woman. But, you know, I think you can just look at what happened with the career. I think you, this is a bigger conversation if we're going to talk about Justin Timberlake or we're going to talk about white artists who have an R&B sound or, you know, have, you know, really capitalizing on what has been built and grounded in black culture. It's not just, he's an incredible artist and musician and dancer. I mean, I think he's an, an amazing entertainer. But when you are an entertainer who is not black and you are, you know, really profiting off of this culture, you need to advocate for and stand up for your peers and they're they're your musical family and counterparts and that's one of the issues that i've had with him and a lot of other artists who have really you know benefited from the black dollar or you know poc dollar or the queer dollar however you want to say you know whatever minority group and not advocated for them. You know, all of these deaths that we've had um, during this whole Black Lives Matter movement of the last seven or eight years and not speaking out. And, you know, silence speaks volumes. Um, and I think that, you know, to bring it full circle to pride right now, that's that's something that is so important when we're thinking about such a, a important year in history 50 years since the Stonewall riots, which was a riot, the the pride movement, the LGBT movement, born out of um, the most oppressed people in our community, black and brown trans women saying like, no, we're not gonna take it, we're gonna fight back. And now we here we are 50 years later and we have had um, one of the highest rates of um, black trans women deaths uh, in this month alone, not to be morose, but you know, it's a huge, huge issue. And I think with, the celebration of pride, yes, there's there's a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be proud of, but it's so important that people and companies and allies, anyone who's considering themselves an ally and people in the community are talking about these issues and are advocating for the most oppressed within our community. Uh, you know what? Uh, I assume some of our listeners are too young to know what Stonewall is. And yeah. So why don't you give them a little history lesson about that 1969, sure. summer sure. thereof. Yeah, 1969. I mean, it's incredible when you think about 1969, period. I mean, so much happened that year. Um, Free Street Theater, you know, they're celebrating their 50th anniversary. They're doing 50, just as a shout out to those folks, they do amazing, um, incredible um, theater activism. They're going to be doing plays in all 50 wards for their 50th anniversary, including performing at the Block Party, their youth theater, um, Free Street this Sunday. But 50 years ago, um, Stonewall is in reference to the Stonewall Inn, which is a was a bar um, in New York City, like many gay bars that were routinely raided. And um, the, there was a lot of tension between police force enforcements and the patrons there. And one night in 1969, um, the predominantly ignited by, as mentioned, black and brown trans women, butch women that said they were going to fight back and that ignited the Stonewall riots, which then led to the first parade at Christopher Street. And then we had our first parade here too. And it set off this movement across the country, in particular in New York, San Francisco, and in Chicago. So now 50 years later, that's why if people have been hearing Stonewall or 50th, that's in reference to that moment that has really been marked as igniting the movement for LGBTQ advocacy and rights. Yeah, and uh, t- to show you how things have changed in New York, I don't know if you saw this, the current police commissioner of New York apologized yes. for the behavior yeah. of the police officers in 69. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw that in the newspaper. I did too. Yeah. I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a statement. Obviously, actions speak louder than words of 
you know, showing advocacy for the community, um, understanding that, you know, there's a lot of people who feel that police should not be at pride or in parades. There's been a lot of tension um, and challenges between police force um, and queer people, trans people, queer people of color. And so, um, you know, it's really interesting to see how these pride parades specifically have grown. And it's wonderful in the sense that we have all this visibility. But, you know, thinking back again 50 years ago, this was started from a riot and from people saying, we have a right to take up space. Mm-hmm. We are human beings. And remembering that that was really the origins of what this was about. Um, and I think, you know, it's really interesting. I've gone to a lot of smaller town or city prides and I really enjoyed doing that. I went to Indianapolis two weekends ago and I had an amazing time. We had 16 friends that went down to see Lizzo for $5. Uh-huh. And I think she's an incredible, and talk about a great advocate. She's amazing. And it was really wonderful to go to this parade and we jumped in with Planned Parenthood and we marched along with them and there was so much support and to see that in Mike Pence's state. Yeah. And you know, it was beautiful. There was so much racial <laughs> diversity. It was so intergenerational and there was very, 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 very many minimal police presence. I know it's different in a city like Chicago or New York, where of course there's millions of people, but I think we have to start really having a conversation about what does that mean to have enforcements there um, when you have a community that has had to deal with so much systemic um, strife mm-hmm. and conflict um, uh, with imprisonment, with the police force. It's it's an important conversation I think we have to be No, Now, Kristen, there's also Pride Parade here in the city of Chicago. Yeah. It'll be Sunday. Right. Uh, a week from si- Sunday. A yeah, week from Sunday. 30th. So uh, it will not conflict with uh, no. the, the reader party, I was just going to say. Right. Um, and uh, so one more time, give people all the information they need I'll to know. i give you the full rundown. Yes. So you mentioned the Pride Parade. The Pride Parade's on the 30th. Mm-hmm. This is a week before, so it's this Sunday. That's the there's point a, I wanted you to There's make. a lot going <laughs> yeah. on like yeah. every day in the city for Pride, which is fantastic. There's a lot happening south, which is incredible to see how much Pride activity is happening on the south side. Our event, the Reader Pride Block Party, is from 1 to 9 at Mars Community Brewing. It's all ages. It's wheelchair accessible. It's a $10 donation, or if you have kids and they're under 10, it's free. We're starting with Drag Queen Story Hour, Drag Queens Reading Stories to Kids, um, we're going to have salsa and uh, house music dance lessons. House music, of course, being such an iconic and important thread through um, LGBTQ and POC communities. And, of course, very rooted in the South Side. So we have the legendary Dwayne Powell, who's DJing that, and the legendary Boogie uh, McLaren, who's going to be leading that workshop. Um, we have a live performance by a Puerto Rican artist named Sandra Antion Giorgi. Um, Young Chicago authors, which have a huge presence in Chicago, they're doing a queer hip-hop showcase of artists um, of queer MCs, and then we're going to finish things off with that um, live Janet Jackson tribute with a band that's been put together. They're called Fem Slash, all women and trans folk in that band. So it's really a celebration of intergenerational cross-community effort to say, this is our community. Our community is everywhere, not just north side. We're north, south, east, west. We're, um, you know, cross-racial and ethnic identity, um, cross-gender identity, and that, you know, hopefully there's something for everyone here. We also have a ton of vendors, all small businesses, um, and it's been a really incredible to see in a pretty short period of time how many people have come out to support it. One other thing I want to shout out, I should have brought you some beer, it's in the car. Um, I'll bring it, I'll drop it, <laughs> is, uh, shit, I should have come to show this, but I'll drop it to you. Mars does, you know, incredible limited edition beers, and yeah. they're so generous, they give to tons of charities, and they have made with this art by Sam Kirk, 
um, is on the cans, and uh, 100% of the proceeds are going to three Southside LGBTQ POC-focused charities, which are Affinity Community Services, Brave Space Alliance, and Chicago um, Chicago Gay Black Men's Caucus. So those um, are three of seven organizations that are all local who are benefiting from the block party. We have a quarter of the proceeds going to, the, to local charities. And then those three Southside LGBTQ POC organizations are gonna get all the proceeds from the beer. So if you are out buying beer, shopping, and you see the beautiful, um, there's a few different designs, rainbow designs for um, pride themed designs for the Mars cans, know that 100% of that purchase goes to charity so that's pretty cool all right very good thank you so much Kristen. one more time 3630 south iron that's where mars community brewing is that's where we had the reader uh election night yeah party. right we started off with uh, you guys with there maya yeah myself uh, that was a rocking party uh anyway 3630 south iron mars community brewing Kristen, thanks so much for coming on and, and doing all the good work that you do thank you it's so good to see you again it's the reader for the baby. reader and yeah. shout out to everyone who's doing pride events on the south side pride weekend there's pride south side which is all happening the 28th through the 30th if you don't want to be on the north side your south side we're a sponsor of that it's called pride south side i think it's pridesouthside.org check them out too they're doing really cool work. all right speaking of the south side we got the south side political know-it-alls ready to come on tom shepherd and jerry brown we're going to bring them on when we return read the chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture.
Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And guys, it's amazing. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. It's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you. And go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at GreenElementResale.com. Green Element Resale, it's amazing. Now back to the Ben Jarofsky show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times, and uh, Kristen Kaza has left the studio. Studio. The Southside Political Know-It-Alls have entered the studio. We've been billing you guys up. Man, you better not disappoint these people. Well, we'll, we'll <laughs> do our best, man. We'll do our best. Uh, that is Jerry Brown and Tom Shepard. And when I had an old show on a radio station, which I always forget the name of the station, D. What's the name? WCUR Fired. Yeah, WCUR Fired. Uh, <laughs> uh, the day before we were supposed to come on. That is correct. Yeah. Was it the day yeah, before? The day before yeah. we were supposed sure to come was. on. Yeah, yeah and it's your fault. Wasn't it? Wasn't yeah, it was yeah. December. Last time yeah. I I'll always remember <laughs> that was the day that my dad. Please sorry, stop, anyway, fellas. old song. Then I'm the only guy who knows that song. All right. Um, I call you guys the South Side Political Know It Alls because you're from the South Side of Chicago and you know it all. Uh, and uh, so, just let's introduce. Take a moment to introduce uh, you to our uh, our new audience here okay. who may not know you from the old show. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Tom Shepard. Tom Shepard from I always say Pullman area. And uh, so, give folks just a little geography lesson where Pullman is in the city of Chicago. Well, Pullman's uh, out on the southern border of the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, and uh, thank you. We li- I live in Pullman and work in the 10th, 9th and 10th wards principally. So the 10th ward is the uh, far southeast side, uh, most southeast ward in the city, and 9th ward is the farther south ward in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, around 100, I'm, I live on 113th Street in Pullman. And I've uh, been involved in politics for many, 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 oh, many yeah, years. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm fighting uh, all those fights against land dumps and everything. I read you would be calling me up in the 90s and the, <laughs> yeah. maybe even the 80s, you know, right. talking about too I much think, dumping, too right. much pollution. Uh, so I, he always make me schlep all the way down to the far <laughs> southeast side. I'm a north sider. Well, I'm actually nothing, but I live on the north side. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's Tom Shepard. Jerry Brown, you are from which community? I am from the uh, Eighth Ward, uh, basically the Mariner community. Uh, Eighth Ward is basically 95th on the south, uh, 75th on the north, Yates Boulevard on the east, Cottage Grove on the west. Uh, Predominantly all-black community, uh, represented by uh, Michelle Harris, uh, and uh, I've been active in politics in Chicago since '74. Mm. Uh, used to be a machine soldier. Uh, quickly got dissatisfied with that uh, because I started seeing things working out other than I thought they should, and I've been real vocal about it ever since. Now, you, when you say a machine soldier, which ward uh, operation were you a well, soldier Well, actually, in? I wasn't with a ward. I was actually working with an individual who was basically uh, an operative. Okay, he was an operative uh, for the daily machine. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, he was in every ward where he was needed. He eventually was the uh, uh, executive assistant to Rich Daly uh, to the 
to the pastors. So he was the reach out guy for, for Bowen to the yes. Okay, what are you covering up here? <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, last time I mentioned his name, I got a little pushback from that. You know, because I basically grew up in his house. Uh, he and uh, my friends, uh, his sons and I were friends. We basically grew up together. I spent a lot of time in his house, and that's basically yeah. how I got involved in it. And uh, you know, and that was a much to uh, my dad saying, uh, "Man, you better watch what you're doing. You better watch because my dad worked for the city for a long time too, and uh, he was." never part of that but you you did not work for the city you never were, did work for the post office did you know i worked for at&t at&t my yeah i never had a political job never took a contract never took a penny from government okay never but you're involved in politics but i'm now, involved in politics you, yes. you talk about the uh the outreach from the democratic party to uh the churches i'm gonna ask both about you uh, mm-hmm. both of you about this i'll start with you jerry okay um when i first got to chicago in 81 the standard uh, wisdom, the conventional wisdom of people who uh, follow Chicago politics is that if you, and when I say you, a politician wanted to get black voters, mm-hmm. what he had to do was win over black preachers. Right. And I always had a hard time with that, Jerry Brown, do. because I it's like, do. are you telling me like black people do whatever their preacher tells them? Uh, in, in a lot of cases, yes. Uh, because the preacher will make a, uh, you know, you can take anything out of the Bible and justify just about anything. And most of these preachers who are in the pockets of these politicians, that's exactly what they do. And I'm talking about going back as far as Wilbur Daniels and Daly, you know. Wilbur Daniels, there's a name for yeah, the past. Yeah, going back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, on Englewood. Yes, yeah. yeah Antioch Baptist, right? That's there correct. They, built, they yeah. named that whole complex that's after right. him on 63rd right. Street. Yeah, you know, He basically fell out with the Dailies when he tried to build those apartments. He couldn't get it. He went to Chuck Percy and got it, and Daly said, the heck with him, and kicked him off the police board. Wow, well, yeah, isn't that how story. it goes yeah. in the city of Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, he got Arthur Brazier, yeah. and then now that Arthur Brazier is gone, it's, you know, it's, and it continues. It, it basically continues. And, and, you know, sadly, yeah, uh, a lot of people go to these big churches because of their political connections, you know, and, and you said you got a problem. I've always had a problem with it being, uh, you know, I'm no Bible thumper, but I kind of understand it. I always thought that the church was supposed to be the conscience of the government, but it's just the opposite, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what that liaison to the pastors is all about. Well, Tom, in your experience, uh, now you have, does the Catholic church have that same role on the South side, uh, that much influence or not? Does it not have that much influence? Uh, well, I don't, I don't really think so. And in my own experience, I, I moved out of the city in 1976 and, and moved out to, uh, uh, Lansing, Illinois and Thornton township and ran for elective office in 1985. <clears throat> and, um, that was a Thornton Township trustee. Mm-hmm. And I did something, we ran as a team, nine-member nine team. There are four trustees and a supervisor and a collector and a assessor candidate. And I did something that the rest of the pack didn't do. I went into the black churches because I came out of Chicago and I knew that's, <laughs> that's how it was done. Mm-hmm. And I was the uh, second top vote-getter out of the nine of us and it did very, very well in the black community because I just knew how to do it. Uh, to you know, meet the pastor, go out there, come out with an envelope, and uh, be able to talk in front of the congregation and have his uh, hand on my back, and this is our guy, you know, and uh, did very well. Uh, And looking out my back window in Pullman there, I'm looking over the huge House of Hope, 
um, Reverend Meeks over Reverend there. Meeks, yeah. And Reverend Meeks, of course, he went on to become Senator Meeks, and then I think he was Secretary of Education under Rauner or something like that. Something like that. No, he was yeah. the, uh, I could do this, I believe he was the chair or the president of the Illinois Board of Education. Yes, okay. Come Whatever. On. Oh, can I get a little credit <laughs> for right. that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So, well, he has a huge congregation. <laughs> yes, he does. And, well, and yeah. uh, I think. In 1999, I think uh, Alderman Beal, who's been there now going on 20 years, uh, was his guy. And I think he helped get him elected over uh, Shaw. Yeah, the Shaw uh, brothers. One of the descendants of the Shaw. I think it may have been the son. Brothers. When, or Herbert, Herbert Shaw. Shaw. Yeah, Herbert right. Shaw. Uh, and uh, all right, uh, you mentioned Beale. Let's just take a brief excursion on that. I can't remember, Jerry Brown, if you're an ally. I re- literally cannot remember if you're an ally of Anthony Beale or an opponent of Anthony Beale or you have a neutrality pact with Anthony Beale. He's well, a long serving alderman of the Ninth Ward, 1999. Uh, I'm definitely not neutral, and I'm definitely not a supporter. Uh, I think Anthony Bill is probably one of the worst aldermen this city has had in a long time, and all you can all you have to do is just look at the condition of the ninth ward. Pitiful. It is pitiful, and it has been in a constant decline since he's been alderman, mm-hmm. and he has done absolutely nothing about it. You know, he, he he here recently he tried to pump up this whole Pullman Park thing as if this was something that he did and that how it's making the community better, and it's had an opposite effect. It's had a opposite effect. You know, uh, a lot of business is left because of that Pullman Park. Um, you know, the shopping options are, 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 are limited because of the Pullman Park. And now we're seeing a destruction of South Michigan Avenue. And I'm sure it's because of uh, 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 that Pullman Park. In a large part. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I have a very close friend who owns who, who has, uh, owns a business there, uh, Edwards Fashions. It's actually his father uh, opened that business years ago when we were in high school. And now Beautiful in store. Sp- yeah. And he talks about how he gets absolutely no cooperation from the alderman. He's uh, He's got a, uh, like a chamber of commerce over business there. Business The alderman does nothing. As a matter of fact, the alderman started his own chamber of commerce because these guys actually want to do something right. But Anthony Bill... Uh-uh. All right, and Tom, you're in the ninth ward. Too. Are you in the tenth ward? No, you're in the ninth ward. Yeah. All right, because he said he left Chicago, but he moved back, so he's right. back in. He's been in. Came Oklahoma. back in '99. Yeah, he came back in '99. Let's get that point in there because I'm going to play devil's advocate, okay? okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, I'm not very popular with Anthony Beal, but here I am playing devil's advocate on his behalf. Okay, uh, he made an alliance with two powerful mayors. Mm-hmm. He made an alliance with Mayor Daly, mm-hmm. Richard M. Daly, mm-hmm. and he made an li- alliance with the last mayor. Uh, what was that guy's name? Oh yeah. Mayor uh, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I try to put it out of my mind. So, and the argument has always been, and I've been hearing this argument since I moved to Chicago in 1981. Ben, you don't understand. In order to get something done for rewards, you got to get along with the man. I, so many people have told me that, Jerry Brown. Okay. You got to get along with the man. When you get along with the man, you're the guy who brings the goods into your neighborhood. Do you understand what I'm saying, Ben? Mm-hmm. I'm like, right. a young right reporter there, taking notes. Okay. So uh, he made his deals, uh, Anthony Beal did, 
with two all-powerful mayors. Are you telling me that that theory, that if you cut a deal with an all-powerful mayor and you vote the way the all-powerful mayor wants you to vote in the Chicago City Council, does not work to the benefit of the people who live in his ward? I'm telling you that absolutely. Mm -hmm. He has been chairman of several different committees. And with what Lori Lightfoot recently exposed about him, now we understand how come nothing ever came out of those committees. Mm -hmm. He's been chairman of the police and fire. He's been chairman of the schools. He's been chairman of transportation. And none of that benefited the Ninth Ward. Ninth Ward's got the worst streets in the city. And I'll vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he was chairman of transportation for two years, yeah. and he got over half a million, close to half a million dollars each year. And yet the people year. keep voting for him. And, and, well, 6,000 votes each time he wins. See, the problem is uh, voter apathy. And because of the fact that he has got this click that constantly comes out and there's, hasn't been a real, uh, a real challenger to him, uh, he's been successful in, in, in his re-elections. Uh, he, he missed the bullet this time. He really did. Uh, because there was a heck of a guy that was planning on running against him. Uh, but he had a small problem is that this guy's sister actually worked for Bill. And when... Bill got an idea or got the wind that this gentleman, Mark Pullins, was going to run against him. He threatened his sister that he was going to fire her if your brother runs. He literally said that. And I'm saying this to the public and he can deny it. Yes, he did. He told her that. Now that he actually, she actually worked on the Transportation Committee, but now he no longer has the transporta- uh, Transportation Committee. Howard Brookins has it and Howard Brookins has hired her. And so now we talk openly about All right. This. Now yeah. listen, Chicago politics, <laughs> uh, Tom Shepard uh, and Jerry Brown just said something. Uh, people on the South Side uh, don't vote. And I'm a, uh, yep. paraphrasing what he said, but I believe he's he's right on target there. One of the reasons why this uh, the South Side of Chicago has suffered so much in terms of getting goodies from City Hall is that e- people don't vote and their votes are taken for granted. When they do vote, they don't vote people out of office enough uh, to make it make there be a consequence to political yep. behavior uh, by their politicians. You've been there yep. since. The 60s, is that your uh, taking things as well? Yeah, and, and what we have now, uh, when I grew up, when I was growing up there, we had uh, like four local newspapers in, you know, in the Ninth Ward. Um, and we had the uh, South Town and uh, Calumet Index and I can't remember, South End Reporter. Mm. Uh, and people were up on what was going on in the ward today. Uh, the Ninth Ward is, is uh, it's grown. That was another thing that uh, Beal got as a result of his buddy buddy with the yeah. mayor. That it, they expanded it into the took a part of the six. Mm-hmm. Uh, took a part. Of, you know the wards over there better than uh, I. Took 20, part of six and took part of eight. Twenty one uh, and twenty one. Yeah, twenty one. And, and he took on some influential things like Chicago State yep. is now in his ward. Yep. Uh, Olive Harvey's in his ward. Redline uh, yep. station, Red station at ninety fifth Street. Three hundred fifty million wasted dollars. And yeah. yeah. So uh, even even though he had this relationship with the mayor's office, a very influential uh, uh, position and committee, uh, and he might have brought. Um, some of the goodies to the ward, but I don't think it got spent in the ward. I don't know exactly where. I think Jerry has a better idea. He's been well, uh, it, 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 looking at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, if it did get spent in the ward, you can't see it. And so that meant only yeah. a very, very small few people got a benefit out of it. Right. You know, I want to go back to yeah, uh, go ahead, about the communication and the difference between out there and some of the north side wards uh, mm-hmm. where you have new aldermen because people are able to see what's going on. There's there's better communication. There's more uh, educated voters, and and now by us, uh, it's it's just keep the people 
Yeah. Uh, with not knowing. Keep them dumb. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> keep them dumb. Okay, you said it. The thoughts and opinions of Jerry Brown or <laughs> Jerry Brown did not necessarily reflect that of the Ben Jarofsky show. So the, the point is, if you if you live at uh, 98th Street, for example, and you uh, you want to uh, find votes out in Alcale Gardens, which is 134th Street, mm-hmm. uh, people out there don't know what's going on in the north side of the ward. Right. Or from the east side to the west side of the ward, there's just nothing that connects us all. It's everything's disjointed, and issues are different, and uh, it's just so hard to get your message out. So if you have that base that he has, that Jerry pointed out a little while ago, and you just keep that, uh, you are going to get reelected because yep. other people don't get a chance to know you, unless you got some big, big bucks. Yeah, and nobody stepped up to the plate with big bucks. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now let's talk about Lori Lightfoot's uh, potential impact in all of this. Mm. We have a new mayor. Uh, she's been in office for about a month and a half now, and uh, she does not owe anything to any of these political bosses. Uh, she could do whatever she wants. Uh, she won seventy-five percent of votes citywide. Won. Uh, pretty much every ward, every ward. Every, she won every ward in the yeah, city by at least wards. with 70% of the vote. Yep. Uh, so what kinds of changes do you anticipate, uh, Jerry Brown, if, if and changes at all? <laughs> Not much. We just had Representative Markwick in here, and uh, he's been pushing for an uh, elected school board. And we thought that Lori Lightfoot wanted an elected school board. But she got rid of the old board and handpicked her own. So how come we? How come she's not pushing this? Question number one. So that number. That's not a change that we're seeing. Uh, she's doing some things that's kind of Romconian, if you want to be. You know, <laughs> you can't go on vacation, but I can go be on TV. You know, what kind of stuff is that, man? Yeah. You know, that's the kind of things we were experiencing in the past. Now, Ben Jarofsky, as someone who drinks the Lori Lightfoot Kool Aid, how do you feel about that statement? Just <laughs> well, I actually hold on. Let me have some of the Kool Aid, Jerry yes, Brown. Very good. <laughs> I'm not finished. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I better well, we better hold off. No, I'm just joking. No, keep going. I'm You're on a great roll. No. Uh, then I'll have the Kool Aid, yeah. and then I'll no, respond. Go ahead. Go ahead. But go ahead. No, I, you actually made a very good point uh, when you were talking. And let me just uh, spell out a little bit more. It's been all in the papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori Lightfoot was very critical of a uh, the second in command at the police department who took a family vacation mm-hmm. uh, around Memorial Day. It was a, a vacation he got approval for. Uh, under the old regime, under Mayor Rahm, and so it'd been on the books for a while, and she didn't. Wa- she wanted all hands on deck for Memorial Day, and he went out of town. I believe one of his kids had a graduated from college with some kind of college thing, and she criticized him for taking th- that vacation. And then uh, just well, this, the last couple of days she's been in New York City, uh, and she was just in L.A. too. She was in, yeah. Hold on, man. She was in yeah. L.A. Got to put my shades on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood singer. Sorry, just every time I hear L.A. Didn't Rom go to L.A.? Uh, oh, Rom always went to L.A. So yeah, and yeah. and and I I understand that criticism. I have mixed feelings about the way Chicagoans react. I talked about this earlier, Jerry Brown, about how Chicagoans react when our mayors go to New York and hobnob with celebrities. Like, power, we're like really wowed by it. Like, that's our mayor with Steve Colbert. We mm-hmm. must be, I must be something if my mayor is hanging You're nothing. You're not hanging out with Steve Colbert. I don't have to pay my water bill now, though. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't have to pay my water bill because uh, Mayor Lightfoot was on the Steve Colbert show. Good luck. Yeah, so yeah, I understand. 
understand Chicagoans. They kind of act kind of like rubes sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, uh, but I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying yeah. to criticize the police gentleman uh, for going on a family vacation and then going to New York. It's just to go on TV. You know, you know, I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm an older fella, and I kind of remember back when. Uh, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of Richard J. Daly, but I remember what he did when he took over in '55. He Wait took, a minute! You weren't around in 1950. I remember what he did because I read, and okay. also my dad was there. Okay, go ahead. And yeah. my dad was one of the people that. You know, he took he he took over. Uh-huh. He got powerful because when he got elected, he took care of the people that elected him. He didn't go out on this thing. He stayed. He didn't do anything outside of this. Thing. He didn't extend himself out to the national party and nothing like that until he took care of the people in the second, third, and fourth ward who actually gave him that election. Mm-hmm. Ben Dawson's people. Well, uh, William Dawson. William Dawson. William Dawson's people and the people in O.J. Carby's ward, twenty fourth ward. Mm-hmm. Those West are the side. people, yeah. Those are the people who got him elected, and he made sure that they were taken care of first. She's well, not doing it. Well, let me just read to you a, a great sentence. I got to give Fran Spielman credit. She's the writer okay. for the Sun Times, uh, and she wrote a column. We already talked about this, but I'm going to share this with you, Tom Shepard and, and Jerry Brown. Tell me what you think of this. Uh, and uh, Fran Spielman was um, noting, criticizing uh, of Lori Leifert for calling her out for making some of the same mistakes old Mayor Rahm made, ah. jet setting out to ah, California, New York. Hanging with the celebrities, wearing <laughs> the sunglasses, and uh, so uh, she says, uh, "Emmanuel's nonstop travel, fundraising, and celebrities schmoozing, often on Hollywood scene, dominated by his super agent brother, was one of the biggest pet peeves about his eight-year tenure. What former Mayor Richard M. Daley knew in his soul, but Emmanuel never took to heart, is that Chicagoans believe the sun rises and sets in Chicago. They want their mayor to stay." home and focus on local problems. Man, that's a great line. Chicagoans mm-hmm. believe the sun rises and sets. Yeah. In Jerry Brown just Bingo. said it. Tom, do you agree with that? That's how Chicagoans oh, see the world? Absolutely. Richard M. probably, uh, you know, the, the furthest he got was on biking out in uh, uh, yeah. along Lake Michigan yeah. there. And, and, uh, now, wait, hold on. Now, let me just stop you right there. The Indiana Richard Dunes. M. It was always, fl- oh, my goodness, this is my pet peeves. I am not rewriting history for Richard M. Daly. Richard M. Daly was always going out of the country, flying off on some junket, and then he would come back when he, whatever he saw in that city, yeah. God help us all, bring he would, oh, bring it in here. Yeah. So remember, that's why with that bullet train, the dull hair, I think, I can't remember, uh, Tom, if it was in China or Paris, where, I can't remember which, where it was, came in, we got to have a bullet train. Yeah. Everybody, all of a sudden, we're spending $250 million, we're digging holes in the what's, loop. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? It was, we already have a train that goes to O'Hare. It's called the Blue Line. Yeah, it takes, oh, it takes an hour and a half. Oh, let's get into argument. I'm ready to argue at this point, Tom Shepard. <laughs> so I, I, so Richard M. Daley did leave the city of Chicago, yes. but he had this way uh, of making it seem like he was leaving the city on behalf of I the people this, of right, Chicago. Right. Uh, you right, know. Right. See, and that's, that's my point, you know. And I'm sure the old man was doing stuff, but that was never the perception about him. And that's what made people, in spite of all his, his negatives, people loved him, and that's why he was where he was for as long as he was. All right, now let me ask you this, uh, both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, Lori Lightfoot took a shot at uh, Ed Burke, speaking Ooh. of a South Sider, mm-hmm. longtime South Sider, Alderman, 14th Ward, Southwest Side of the City of Chicago, uh, what was your response, Tom? Were you cheering with her, or were you feeling bad for Eddie Burke? I uh, began to think about 
what is contained on those tapes that uh, Alderman Solis took <laughs> uh, <laughs> had hours and hours of conversations. And I wonder who else is on those tapes, too, because uh, I'm curious to see if somebody that we talked about previously might be on there. But uh. um, yeah. The, the, the other thing I was going to point out, though, too, another big disappointment with many people I know, and Jerry and I talked about it earlier, that uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, kind of endorsed the Obama Library being built out there at uh, uh, Jackson, Jackson Park. Jackson Park, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a lot of the people that um, favored her during the election, during the campaign, were disappointed by that. And a lot of people I know are not talking so highly of her right now, and, yeah. and, and we know a lot no, of common people. No names people mentioned, that, but we've right. seen some stuff in the media by some people that say, ooh. Well, let me ask you about that. Uh, well, what was your reaction, uh, Jerry Brown, to when she well, stood up? Well, you know what? I, I saw that first council meeting as nothing but positioning. Uh, Eddie Burke ain't going to lay down. I don't care how much they got on it. I don't care how indicted he is. It's not going <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we've seen it before. Yeah. You know, he sat there and said nothing. That should have scared her. You know, I mean, frankly, I mean, from a political standpoint, yeah, he yeah. sat there and said nothing. Yeah. Come on now. Come on now. He's got arms that reach man into the courts. Yeah. Come on, people. Let's yeah. be serious. They may have him on something. I don't know. Again, what's on those tapes. But I'm sure he wasn't quiet because of what's on those tapes. Yeah. You know, I got to be honest. I was cheering when she. Now, that's just my perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm. About the time I moved to Chicago was right around the time Council Wars erupted. Yeah. And I really never forgiven Eddie Burke for yeah. the role he played. Hey. With your old alderman, not literally your old alderman, <laughs> your neck of the woods, Tom, <laughs> your good pet friend, Fast Eddie, Eddie. Bernoulli. Eddie. Yeah. Fast Eddie. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, you mentioned the Obama Library. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, of course, is President Obama's, the center. I don't even know if it's a literal library. Uh, well, there will be a Chicago public branch in there. Isn't that something? Yeah. To get a Chicago public branch? <laughs> They're only in the city of Chicago. You can put a branch anywhere. Uh, right. No, what we're going to do, people? Uh, <laughs> we're going to sweeten this thing. What are people in Chicago? Oh, sounds good to <laughs> me. I'm telling you, man, we're all rubes in this city. Take, take the park. Okay, okay take the park. Take the, take the street. <laughs> and then take the golf course. Take it all. Take it all. We're going to give you a library. Whoa! <laughs> wow, a library. That I can go to for free? <laughs> so, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm on that tangent. Uh, but, uh, Jerry, my uh, experience has been if someone from the north side mm -hmm. uh, criticizes uh, the city for allowing the uh, the Obama Center to be built in a library. Mm -hmm. This town being very tribalistic as it is, mm -hmm. a South Sider will say, stay out of our business. If we want to put a library in our park, we're going to put a library in our park. We don't tell you what you do with your uh, affairs on the north side of Chicago. So, Jerry Brown, do you f you're a longtime South Sider. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself having that same sort of urge that when you see someone like a group like Protect Your Park, which is basically North Sider, uh, filing suit to keep Obama from putting his library in Jackson Park. Do you find a territorial impulse where you say, stay out of the South Side? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, I was glad <laughs> they stepped in. I really was because of the way that it took place. Uh, uh, you know what? From the very beginning, I was upset with the whole process of that, that presidential service. It started out as the presidential library to get us rooped, get us going. <laughs> but it was never going to be the presidential library. They made that clear after the fact, after they made the decision who was going to get it. Now, Tom and I both were on the Chicago State team that was trying to get it at Chicago State. If mm -hmm. you look at all of that vacant land yeah, they got yeah. out there, in the community where Obama started as a community organizer, you know, mm -hmm. Why? That was the logical choice to put it there. 
you know, land they wouldn't even have to pay for. Yeah. You know, it would have been logical there. So I was kind of glad, you know, and, uh, you know, just to tell the people, no, we're not going to do a community benefits. I mean, there could have been a better way. I mean, it wasn't really wasn't necessary to have a community benefits agreement. But still, I mean, because the way he came through and, and guaranteed 51 percent of the uh, contracts would go to minorities. But, you know, that's always, you know, that always works out a certain way. But 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 even still, I was glad that those guys stepped up, filed suit. I was glad that they did. Uh, had that group that protested done it properly or followed the followed what the friends of the park had done in the past when they prevented stuff going on public land and which they didn't do yeah. had they followed that you know that that, that their template that they gave them they would have stopped the thing in the first place mm-hmm. but they let it go too far and uh, you know it's pretty much a done deal what do you think about the the, the library there well, I certainly uh, am in favor of having it in Chicago, and uh, like Jerry said, we advocated for it to be out at Chicago State University, mm-hmm. uh, further south, or or around Lake Calumet, where there's mm-hmm. a lot of empty property, or even on the lakefront, uh, U.S. Steel property there, oh. uh, right on the lakefront. Perfect, um, uh, perfect place, all except for getting to it. That's yeah. that's the problem, and and the reason why that hasn't been developed. It's just a little bit too far off the uh, away I think it would have been a great idea to have the library down in Chicago State. My, yeah. my choice was on the west side where UIC a tag team. Mm-hmm. There was a huge vacant land. I remember I had Ricky Hendon on the show mm-hmm. and uh, he just laughed at me. He goes, Ben, there is no way. <laughs> there's no way they're going to put it on the west side. Stop <laughs> fooling yourself. I'm imitating Ricky Hendon. But, yeah. you know, and uh, he's right. But I mean, they, to be fair, Obama's a south sider. Obama yeah. is from Hawaii. Well, okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, I, Obama is as much a South Sider as I'm a South Sider. He's from South Shore. You know, no, that's his wife. I'm sorry. Yeah, his <laughs> wife is from the South Side of right. Chicago. Barack Obama is from Hawaii. Okay. Oh, oh, that ain't what Trump said. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> that's a whole different show. I'm sorry. That's a whole different story. But anyway, yeah. in other words, he got his political start on the South Side. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. right. And he was state senator from the South Side and uh, did his community activism out there. Uh, I've done tours with Jacob Kaplan uh, called the Obama, the Young Mr. Obama tours and, you know, brought people out to all the, the uh, places out there where, you know, he... Uh, where he grew up, and well, not that maybe I can't use that. Yeah, you can't say grew up. Did you take him to Honolulu? <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I, I was certainly in favor of it being on the south side, and and uh, it probably would have made more sense to be over at Washington Park rather than Jackson Park. But there again, you know, if you're going to be using uh, parkland, you're going to have a battle no matter what. Yeah, I need and, to stop that. Uh, but um, I, I do want to see it. Uh, yeah. I, I want to see that occur more more than I want to see Tiger Woods have to take over the uh, South Shore Country Club or the South Shore uh, Cultural oh, Center. Yeah, golf that's a power and, grab. And the Jackson Park uh, golf course. Now, too. what's your thoughts about the gambling casino that will be coming to Chicago? Chicago, all these years, yeah. uh, Tom and Jerry, the, um, I've been hearing about a casino coming to Chicago, a casino coming to Chicago. In the 90s, there's always concerned about the mob. The influence of the mob. Remember those days? The, I guess the mob has disappeared because suddenly we're going to casino coming to Chicago. Forget the mob, Ben. We're getting the, the casino. A different it just went away. It just disappeared. Uh, so, what's your thoughts, uh, Tom? 
about the casino possibly coming to your neck of the woods on the far southeast side? Well, we're, we're losing a lot of income to Indiana. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I go out there occasionally with some buddies, and, and I used to go, I used to spend a lot of time at this casino. Tom Shepard, uh, I did not know you had that bug. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> off the air, maybe we can talk about some things, because some of the things I've done over the years are now legal, and I used to get arrested for that stuff. You know? Not until January 1st. Yeah. Uh, technically, it's not legal until I, I assume that's the thing you're alluding to, uh, marijuana. <laughs> but anyway, go back to well, uh, that and, and the gambling aspect. Uh, you know, uh, now they're going to have sports gambling uh, legalized yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think um, I think that it, on the far south side, it would be an asset to the community. Uh, I don't want to see it at Lake Calumet because I've been advocating for Lake Calumet to become. Uh, open for recreation, passive recreation. Mm -hmm. But if it comes out there, uh, I'm I'm kind of neutral on it. Uh, A lot of, uh, we we did a a tour of Lake Calumet and Lake Catherine out in Palis just Mm -hmm. uh, a month and a half ago and brought a bus full of people out there to see what really we like to have at Lake Calumet. And then we surveyed them and asked them if they wouldn't mind seeing a casino and, and a few other things there. And, and I think out of the 55 people that were on their bus, I think 53 were against a casino and two were in favor. So uh, uh, it seems to me that the you know, consensus out there is against it. I know Alderman, Alderwoman Garza is in favor of Yeah, she was on the show just last week, uh, oh, extolling okay. the virtues okay. of a casino on the southeast side. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe at the lakefront, but there again, you have that transportation getting to it, Mm -hmm. that issue at the uh, USX uh, property there on the lakefront. So uh, I'm a little bit ambivalent Mm -hmm. about it. What about you, Jerry? Uh, Well, you know, I I, uh, anticipated it coming uh, over a year ago uh, when they were so adamant about not giving us the land we were talking about for public use and we found out all the little things about the Port Authority who controls the land that they're suggesting that the casino might go on. I said, no, this is going to happen because that, that's a municipal corporation unto itself. This is perfect for a casino. That's how come they don't want to give us no land. Uh, I think a casino would be good. Uh, it would bring a lot of good jobs. It would bring a lot of good revenue, mm-hmm. uh, tax money, you know. Uh, it, but it need to be, uh, I don't want to sound like Don Corleone, we keep it away from the kids, we just put it over here. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be, yeah. you know, you, you have to have some, yeah. some thinking in where you place it, you know. You don't want to destroy the wildlife. Uh, you don't want to upset <laughs> residential communities, you know, and you have to take in consideration, you know, the negatives that a casino would bring. But it, uh, yeah, you should not have mentioned Don Corleone when talking about a casino. Remember, I just got to forget it. Hey, Jerry. Uh, that's my Don Corleone imitation. Not a very good one. Uh, yeah. I, I, do you? Look, the ultimate question is, do you think the city of Chicago, the powers that be, mm-hmm. and it's actually a state's, literally the state's decision, mm-hmm. uh, will put the casino on the south side? Yes. Or do you think, you think it will, not yes. the loop? Well, not initially. I think they're going to be four casinos in this town. Four? Yes. I Good believe God. That. I think this is going to be the new Vegas. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I really what about the old Vegas? Well, wow. it's dying. <laughs> it's dying. You know what? Just, are just, you for real? I, mean, I hadn't thought about that. Chicago would rival Vegas. In other words, the uh, the entertainment industry would... Boom. What Now, okay, let me play devil's advocate okay. with you. Why would we have an entertainment industry in the city of Chicago when it's freezing cold here January, February? What do you, 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 hasn't made a difference. Actually, it's been growing, hasn't it? 
tourism, you mean? Yeah. It's been growing. So you think that people will come they to come Chicago no anyway. Way. They don't yes. care if it's cold. That's right. They do. They do. Tourism's growing. 53 million people came here last year. Visit 53 million. 53 million visitors to Chicago last year. I did not know that. Yes, sir. That sounds like a lot. That is. I do not believe 53 million people. That's what they report. Well, our friend, Mr. Rahm Emanuel, told us that. 53 million? That's a lot of people. Yeah, 50. And I guess they were basing it on the hotel rooms rented and things like that. I think Rahm just made a number up. This sounds good. (laughs) Rahm wouldn't do that. Uh, Some Trump move. 53 million. Yeah. All right. So you think uh, the city of Chicago will become the new Vegas? Yes, wow. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. That's yeah, uh, I'm thinking four casinos, yeah. Four casinos. Four. One on the south side, two in the loop, and maybe one on the near west side or maybe the north side. No, maybe finally the west side. I doubt yeah. the north side's going to get it. For some okay. reason, I know the north side, okay, they don't not. want a casino. Okay. You know what well, I'm saying? Three. Yeah. yeah. Why um, would they put it anyway? There's mm-hmm. there's hardly an inch. Well, if it, they treat the north side like they treat the south side, they'll put it in Lincoln Park. Exactly. Literally in a park. Exactly right. Can okay. you imagine uh, if the city said, we're going to put right something in a park? We're going to put this in your park. Can you imagine what Northsiders would do? Put it in the water. Uh, yeah, they'd be like crazy protests. Don't put it in my park. Yeah. But in the South Side, sure, put it, put it in our park. Right. We're getting a library. Yeah. Anyway, um, unbelievable. One last question before yes, we uh, end it for today, and I have to bring national politics into it because I'm utterly obsessed with the presidential race, Tom. And I mean, I'm really pumped up about this thing. Um, so, uh, do you have a sense of who the front runner is in your neck of the woods? Who people are talking about? Who people are leaning toward when uh, in the Democrat? I've presume it'd be the Democratic uh, side, not the Trump side. Uh, Do you have a sense of that? Well, I got to say, I hang out with a lot of Bernie people, first of all, and uh, they don't they don't all live in my neighborhood, but I I get around to other parts, too. And and I'm a Bernie person. Um, I'd be comfortable with a number of the top contenders in the Democratic uh, uh, that are running for the Democratic uh, uh, slot. And uh, other people, I, I think, you know, I was listening to a show earlier on NPR, I think, and they're talking about Joe Biden and, and uh, um, well, I think it was uh, Tom Hartman on the on that old station. Oh, what's that, that station? Yeah, yeah. I remember that's the station. name of that station. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like Hartman, but I can't remember the name of the station. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> they're saying in the black community that uh, most uh, voters would be comfortable, more comfortable with Biden. Hmm. I don't know why they wouldn't like Bernie. I mean, Bernie has been, you know, tried and true since the 60s. Um, and uh, sad engaged part. Uh, yeah, he's, sad he's, engaged he's been part, here. Yeah, when he was, he was uh, used yeah. to But that that's that's who that's I'm what you're behind, heard. and and uh, the polls show that he would he would uh, win in a landslide over Trump, and and I'm with uh, anybody but Trump. Just we, we just got to get him out of there. Well, who do you think, Jerry? Uh, uh, I'm I'm kind of kind of torn between Biden and oh, I'm I'm kind of torn between Biden and, and Sanders right now. Uh, wow, what a that's covered a lot of territory. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, well, those are only two I'm considering. Yeah, I got you. And, okay. and, and my whole thing is is that uh, you know we have to consider uh, what the 2016 uh, results showed us. Whoever the nominee is has going to have to go back into those states that Obama was able to draw Republican voters from because we lost them in 2016. He's Whoever the nominee is is going to have to go back into those states and get those voters back. Yeah. I don't see super left being able to do that. You know, you're gonna have to get somebody that's kind of kind of mid center, or at least campaigns mid center. 
uh, because the, the people are believing this guy's lies. You know, uh, I, I, I'm talking about the president. Yeah, the people are believing his lies. Which man. lies? The one he said Every, all of today. Them. <laughs> well, the one he said today contradicted what well, he the, said. The latest Just one. believe whatever he said. Right. The latest one. Yeah. Is, those polls are fake. Get rid of those people. Oh my right. goodness. You know, no, first, first he said. <laughs> first they said that uh, uh, there were no polls. Yeah. Then they said those are all polls. Right. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm trying to believe what you're telling me. Oh, how can you tell me two different things? Yeah. And then he yeah. fired the polls. Right. right. If your intel yeah. tells you to hire these guys and then you fire them because of what they tell you, what does that say about how you run in this country, man? <laughs> Do people think that far? Do people think that for, I, I, you know, I don't know. That's just, you know, I've got some curse with clear vision and critical thinking. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I still haven't figured out how Trump voters in North Dakota are concerned about immigration <laughs> issues at the border. Nobody lives in North Dakota. Well, it's like empty state. Those Canadians are coming, man. <laughs> no, they're not. It's, they're, it's funny. He's at the border. That's right there. They're not worried about that border. They're the one way on the other side it's of the It's the bison. That's the bison. They're going to come in. Yeah. Bison. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just amazing. You know what I do? And, and I'm going to be real quick with this. I... Uh, I guess I kind of troll conservative sites, uh-huh. and I push buttons. And you wouldn't believe some of the responses I get, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. These people are really sad, man. Mm-hmm. They believe anything that guy says. I mean, it's like the lie is so obvious. Yeah. I don't care what it is. I did a little thing with the Stephanie Trussell show, and then with the day after he announced uh, he was going to call the national uh, emergency for right. the uh, building of the wall, I come in that day. I was on the show the next day. I come in with a, a stack of cards. With I went through that whole speech. Fact checked all the lies he yeah. told. We didn't get a chance to talk about it because she saw I had a stack of cards. Yeah. Unbelievable, man. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> they don't but want anyway, to anybody it. but Trump. Yeah. There you go. All right, very good. And that is Jerry Brown, Tom Shepard in the studio as well. Thank you both for coming in the Southside Political Know It Alls. I'll book you again. I love talking politics with you two guys. It's a lot of fun. It's yes, a sir. lot of fun. And uh, Kristen Kaz, I want to thank her from the Chicago Reader. My beloved Chicago Reader was in uh, about, about an hour ago. And Rob Martwick began the show, did a great job, state representative, maybe soon to be state senator. We'll see. We'll be watching that one for the northwest side of Chicago. Leah, magnificent job as always. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, behind the board. Jerry, do you know what they call him back in Alton? What's that? What's they call him White Lightning. Oh, my <laughs> No, they don't. They don't call <laughs> Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Reader and Chicago Sun-Times websites. ChicagoReader.com, Chicago.SunTimes.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. We're now on Spotify. Tell your friends. Find us at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, at Facebook and Twitter, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. And hey, we live stream the program uh, Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and the Chicago Reader website as well. One, two. Three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.